What is up, motherfuckers? It's been such a while. Oh my god. I'm so sorry it took this long. Um, editing is a motherfucker. But I'm here. I'm queer. Somebody pass me a beer. Just kidding. Um, a glass of Moscato will do just fine. If you... <laughs> oh my god, don't even get me started on Moscato. This episode is my interview with hentai, also known as Vestite. They are an amazing drag performer. A little background on hentai. Hentai is my drag sibling and has been since they started drag like five years ago in San Marcos. They went to the Austin scene and really blew up. I would describe them as having incredible style, sometimes futuristic, sometimes grotesque and filthy, and also surrealist too. So this bitch will give you a full illusion. They went into the Austin drag scene and won Austin's next drag superstar. And this competition at the time was like a big ass deal. And so whenever they won, it was like a holy fuck, especially because their style is so untraditional. But then two years afterwards, they announced that they were quitting drag altogether. So we kind of go over how they started drag how they left drag and this new musical project known as Vestite that's been going for about a year or two at this point. As you may recall from our last episode, they had the song of the week that was Cheer Captain. And now we're talking about their EP. It's called Modern Phenomenon. So we're going to talk about what influences their music their sound, and how you propel in an existential environment. I'm going to have a lot of visual info on the website so you can see the kind of references that we're making in this interview. But before we get into all of that, we started this interview similar to how we did with Louisiana Purchase. If you know what that means, then you know. And similar to Louisiana Purchase, whenever you see some of Hentai's past looks, you'll think that this look came straight from Satan themselves. And when you hear what hentai puts their coconut oil in, you will also think maybe they're going to hell. And maybe you're right. Enjoy. you high but the um i don't know i'm not gonna finish reading but i think that i think that it can yeah cbg the other cannabinoids oh this is what she was talking about when a flame is used to smoke dried cured bud a high degree of heat is applied in a short amount of time resulting in the rapid conversion of thca to thc 
However, not all THCA will convert, and though smoking is the most common way to enjoy THC's effect, it is not the most efficient. That's why vaping or whatever. Probably. Yeah, vaping. This is probably the most efficient way to decarboxylate. Decarboxylate. Decarboxylate ground nugs. When heated at a low temperature, the cannabinoids are converted and released, continuing to increase the heat. Blah, 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 blah. So, like, hmm. simmering it, basically, like how vapes do, it, like, makes all the high shit shimmy out. Yeah. And then you can basically, like, you, at that point, you can ingest it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And um, I only know this because I used, I have, like, five different weed cookbooks, mm. and I got, like, really, really into it. I, oh, you can cook with the vaped weed. Uh-huh. Yeah, I did yeah. that. I yeah. did that in college. And I, um... Uh, I was really dumb because I uh, had this thing called the Vapor Blunt, and it was like just this like vape thing. I used to smoke it with Coochie and River all the time. But uh, I, I love them. I know I miss those days. But we uh, we vaped, or like I vaped all of this weed, and I would uh, somebody told me that you could cook with it, so I saved it all, and I had like this little like mason jar that I would just like dump out all the vaped weed in, as long as it didn't, because sometimes it gets a little burnt. Yeah. But like. So I had this, like, large collection of vaped weed, and one day I was like, I think I'm going to try cooking with it. And so I just did little firecrackers, you know, like where you get the little, uh, like, uh, graham cracker, and you put, like, almond butter on it. Oh, and my God, weed. yes. Yeah, so I've I, heard of that. Yeah, so I thought, like, oh, well, it's already been vaped, so it's probably not, like, gonna do anything. it's not very strong. So I put a lot on there. Like, I sprinkled a shit ton on there, and then I took some greens, too, and I was like, I'm going to put a little on this on there, too. Because I was, like, really skeptical because because I knew the process that goes into, like, making edibles. Cooking. And yeah. this is, like, so it easy. It seems like a hack. Exactly. So then I wrapped it up in foil, put it in the oven, cooked it for however long you're supposed to do it. And then I took it out, and I, I ate half of it. And it was already, like, midnight. So it was late as fuck. I don't know why I was doing this. But I ate, like, half of it. And I, like, waited. And I was, like... And I had had edibles before, but, like, I don't have very much experience with it. Or I didn't at the time. And I was, like... I don't feel anything. I'm going to eat the other half and just see if I feel, like, anything. Oh. And so I ate the whole thing. And then, um, like, I don't know, about an hour and a half later, I started to come up, and I was feeling really stoned. I passed out because it was late. Like, it was really late, so I was tired. So I just, like, like passed the fuck out. Woke up at, like, 3 a.m. and, like, puked my guts out. And then uh, went back to sleep. And then I woke up, and I had a text message from my sister. And she's like, hey, I'm almost there. And my sister, she was living in San Marcos as well at the time. I forgot that we had made, uh, it was like around my birthday, and we had made plans to go get pizza whenever, uh, what was that place called? Uh, like, no, the Illuminati. Oh, um, Pi Society. Society. Yeah, so we went to Pi Society. She must have thought that I was on, like, hard drugs, because, like, I was still fucked up at that point when she picked me up, and... She had just split with her boyfriend at the time, and she was telling me the story of their breakup, and I was just, like, <laughs> melted into the side of the booth that we were standing in, just, like, nodding my head, like, yeah, uh-huh. And I just, like, felt so, so, uh... Nauseous. Yes, nauseous, and just, uh, like, I don't know, a, a full, uh, like, shutdown of my motor skills. Like, I couldn't do oh, yeah. anything. Yeah. And I wasn't hungry, which is weird, because normally, you know, like, you're really hungry when you're... No, it's you're like high. you're existing in a different plane of reality where you can't move. <laughs> it was too much. So I learned the hard way that with edibles, it's much better to do less than more. 
had that same experience when Sam and I went to Denver. We, uh, is there a car? Mm-mm. Okay. Complained a little bit. It's cute, though. I'm trying to get a partnership with these motherfuckers. What's it's, their, like, a uh, shtick? Or, like, the... Like, the shtick is how easy it is to clean. Oh, if you I have that. a cotton ball with coconut oil, you can literally just wipe I have this. coconut oil. And that's, that's, like, it. Do you want coconut oil? Sure. I keep it in an urn. <laughs> <laughs> I found this urn at a, uh, second-hand store. That I like got it and I filled it up with coconut oil and this is what I take my makeup off with. I like thought about a mason jar, but then I saw this urn and I was like, how cool would it be if like I took off my makeup and something that once probably held the remains of a human body? That would be <laughs> And if there's a ghost in that urn, it's a very well moisturized one. You were so fucking metal and I love it. <laughs> I actually um I got that urn, it was for a performance. And I and when I take off I oh and I then take it's like my makeup and then it's like after you have performance shit you're like okay well, well it was that. already filled with coconut oil because that's what, what I used to take off my makeup like it was oh. in the performance I like had I was like this ghost and I like carry this like urn and then I like take it off and like pull out like a whole like handful of coconut oil and I just like smash it on my face and and after I did the performance I did it like twice and then I just had this urn filled with coconut oil that I kept using to take my makeup off because it's great for taking your makeup off yeah. Cheetah told me that um, about the coconut oil. That was really makeup. quick. But yeah, you just. Whoop, huh. I'm gonna see if we can team up and do something where like I get a referral link or something, and we just like sell the fuck out of these. I got a matching one for David. <coughs> they make them in different colors. Mm. So yeah. yeah. Nice. I mean, like, that's the biggest issue that we have with the cleaning because. You know, if you're a regular smoker, it gets so gross. And then yeah. I, the one thing that we do is, you see those that little, like, it's one of those little uh, silicone bendy pipes. Oh, yeah. Um, we just replace the little glass bowl, and that's actually very cheap. And, I mean, it's not, I mean, maybe the most, like, environmentally friendly, but it's just a piece of glass. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm super duper excited for this Yay. interview because I, as you know, have been a giant stan of yours since the beginning of like everything, literally day one. Um, so I feel like I have to kind of start this episode by like explaining my stan for you, okay. if that's okay. okay. <laughs> I'll endure it. <laughs> Does this happen to you a lot where like people just like grab you and tell you how fucking inspirational you are no not a lot but uh we were just talking about this my friends and i yesterday because we were at the grocery store and we saw another musician in austin who we all know and i've met her like multiple times but always in like full face it was back whenever i was still doing like the full drag stuff and i like wanted to go say hi but then i know that feeling of like when somebody comes up and like says like hi and like brings attention to you and tells you how great you are like in that moment i want to die but then after, it's very reaffirming, because you're like, oh, hey, somebody likes what I'm doing. But in that moment, I'm like, I don't know what to say. Well, that, and then it's kind of like, well, yeah, and at least they, like, acknowledged you while you were out of it. Right, yeah. Because that's a big deal, too, because I feel like sometimes, um, 
another th- thing about this podcast is it's like super duper existential so like we're just gonna go there uh, existential now exactly <laughs> which is why i'm so excited <laughs> but Let's um get deep. so like a thing that i kind of think about is like whenever you're surrounded by an artistic community and stuff it is kind of like to a certain degree getting acknowledged outside of that moment mm. is kind of like it kind of means a bigger deal because mm. you don't really know and not that like as an artist you should always be seeking the validation of others but it's a natural thing to kind of like be attuned to that so that's that would kind of like trigger me too i could totally see that but it like, feels good to be you know reaffirmed and told you know like you know, I really like what you do, or if after a performance or a show or whatever, somebody comes up and says, like, how much they liked it. Like, that does feel really good. Um, in the moment of receiving those compliments, I, like, don't know what to do. I don't know how to absorb them or, like, how to even, like, register them. But what I've learned is, like, you just say thank you and, and be very nice and say thank you. And then later you can reflect on it and be like, wow, okay, that person really liked it. I will say, though, that those kind of compliments too can also be like in my experience as a performer can also be very negative too because Uh like at least in my mind like if I have a really bad show or a bad performance or whatever and I don't feel very good about it and I'm like having a really like like existential crisis in my head about like what the fuck am I doing why am I doing this this happened a lot with drag not so much with music and then somebody comes up and talks about how much they love the performance, which I just finished and I hated. Then I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, if these if people just like anything, then, like, why even put in the effort? So another thing that I was wondering about was for those who don't know you mm. from doing drag and being in Austin, you started out in San Marcos mm. under Stonewall Warehouse whenever it had just started with Cheetah and everything. Mm. Um, can you talk about like how you went from that to eventually getting into Austin? Yeah, so when I came back to San Marcos for my senior year of college. I had been gone for a little over a year studying in Tokyo and I had, uh, when I was in Tokyo I was really interested in the fashion scene there and I had a lot of really interesting and bizarre clothes that I had gathered from like the fashion districts of Tokyo and San Marcos is very conservative. I mean compared to like a big international city like like uh, Tokyo so I felt like I had all these cool clothes and like nowhere to wear them and then um, I I, oh uh, at Walmart I bumped into my friend Tyler George who was doing drag under the name of uh, Terrible she was terrible Um, now she lives in Portland she's doing theater stuff and it's amazing she was doing and I saw I bumped into her at Walmart we were old friends from earlier in college and she had a pair of stockings in her car. And I picked them up and I was like, what are these? And she's like, oh, I'm doing drag now. And it's at Stonewall. There's a gay bar here now. Because Stonewall wasn't there before. I went to Japan when I came back. Stonewall had been open for almost a year. And so anyway, so I went to Stonewall. I started performing there. I actually, the first time I ever went to Stonewall, I was in drag. And I didn't have eyelashes on. And I didn't have a drag name. But I was just kind of like feeling my fish fantasy. And I met... River Rains that day, who became, who's like 
to this day one of my best friends and I met Bambi and Ruby I don't talk to Bambi anymore but I'm Ruby is another one of my best friends it was kind of like a very fateful day how did your relationship with Ruby start because <coughs> actually um, the, last, the last episode that I did with Louisiana mm. one of the pictures that I have is from the day that I met her which was at y'all's violent femme Oh, that's when you met her? That's when I oh, met wow. Louisiana. Yeah. Oh, Louisiana. I thought that's you meant when, when you met Ruby. Actually, I didn't meet Ruby until after that. I met her, um, like, I think I met her at Sad Girls. So Ruby used to perform at Stonewall, not often, but like semi-frequently, because when she first started drag, she was like really industrious about getting gigs and like going around and making herself known. But I met Ruby at Stonewall... Um, the first time I ever went out in drag, I met her and River in the same night, which is really crazy. And uh, she and I were like acquaintances basically up until when I did Drag Survivor. Um, they had a theme for one week where you had to do a number with somebody who had done Drag Survivor in the past and she had done it like two years or a year before or something like that. And so I got Ruby to be the person that did the duet and the number with and then we hung out to like prepare for it and it went really well and then we just started doing more stuff together like more like duets and hanging out and then we decided to put on our own show uh, after Sabrosa was temporarily put on hold because uh, there were some problems with the venue. Sabrosa was the sh first show that I did in Austin and then that got put on hold because there were some, there was kind of a scandal with the venue that we were doing it at. So I put that on pause and I wanted to do another show. And so I approached Ruby and said, hey, would you want to do a show together? And so we got together and we just hung out at her old place and we brainstormed and came up with ideas. And then, so working closely together to do that event really brought us even closer. And then now we're doing completely different things, but there might be some stuff that we have planned to do in the future, but... Um, no details on that yet. That would be cool. <laughs> Ruby's interesting to me in an elusive kind of way because I haven't, like, you know, talked to her probably as much. A very elusive person. I think a lot of people think that Ruby is, like, standoffish or even, like, some people might think that she's kind of a bitch, but, like, it couldn't be farther from the truth. I mean, she's very, like, down-to-earth and, like, the kind of person that you can just sit down and have a conversation with and like hang out with, but she, like myself, is an introvert. And, um, well, I don't know, I don't wanna speak for her, but I would classify her as an introvert. And when she drinks, and we all drink, but like, she doesn't drink a lot. I'm not saying she's like an alcoholic or anything, but when she drinks, <laughs> Ruby's she, gonna fucking no, light you up. <laughs> no, she's just not, kidding. like, Ruby and I both like drink very casually, but when she does drink, she gets even more introverted. Some people get louder and Ruby yeah. gets quieter. And so I think at drag events, she's very quiet and she's... Because uh, she's lit. No, she's not <laughs> lit, but kidding. she's just quiet and she's introspective and, and watching. She's a watcher and then a listener. And I think some people think that because she's hot and she looks good and she's dressed to the nines, you know, or to the tens or whatever they call, she's like... Uh, you know, they think like, oh wow, look at that girl, she's so hot and she thinks she's better than everybody. But that's, it's literally not the case because underneath all of that glamour and beauty is just some normal person, you know, like you or me, um, that is, you know, just observing what's going on and maybe not 
so extroverted to just talk to anybody that's around. I, I've, I've heard the same thing about me from people. They were like, oh, when I first met you, I thought you were such a bitch. Don't you love when people... People say that? you like that. Like, usually whenever people say stuff like that, it's completely unprompted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the reason people think that about me is because I, I am an introvert, but I'm a, good, I'm a good faker. But the one thing that I do is, like, I'll... If I'm talking to somebody, I'll be like, um, oh, hey, I'll be right back. And then I'll, like, run off and go hide. And I'll go backstage and, like, not talk to anybody. And so I think, like, I, I am kind of, like, avoidant um, when I'm out. And it's, like, can be hard to, like, track me down. But it's just because I, I don't really like to be, like, talking to all the people, you know. Another cool thing about Ruby that I've gathered from y'all is it seems like from the work that you guys did with just Violent Femme alone, like, conceptual stuff is, like, she can definitely... Do that kind of stuff too. Yeah, I think um, we did like a photo shoot where uh, we were both like aliens and we were like connected by like a shared umbilical cord. And um, a lot of people saw that photo shoot and they're like, wow, they like messaged me like, wow, I love the concept. That's really great. I was like, oh no, this one was actually like completely Ruby. Like it looks like something that maybe I like that would come from my mind because I am very into science fiction and I am and I. You know, and weird it, shit. Yeah, and weird <laughs> shit, and just like disturbing, provocative stuff. But no, like she, that was completely her idea, and she messaged me about it. Hey, can we do this? And I was like, Yeah, I love that. Let's do that. So I think, like, contrary to her very put together and uh, like New York, London, Paris fashion, fashion week, week look, look, like inside and the ideas that come, you know, that are in her mind are not all so. Posh. Posh, exactly, yeah. It's funny the way that people uh, would just kind of assume, like, you know, certain things. Yeah, like, just because a queen can serve, like, a pop star look that she might not be able to get into, like... The weird and the creepy and the conceptual. I don't think that that's necessarily the stuff that interests her the most, but, like, it is something that's in her wheelhouse and she does very well with... Um, and, and conceptually for Violent Femme, like we did a lot of really cool shoots and, and videos and stuff like that. And we always did, we took turns, like one, one month it would be my turn to come up with the concept and the other turn it would be hers. And so if you, if you look at the promos, it's always a one for one. Like we always trade it off. And honestly, like the first Violent Femme, like we did so poorly financially, we were getting really, we got, we got a really unfair deal from the bar that we were doing it at. Uh, it's been resolved now. The person who was screwing us over no longer works there, but we were getting really ripped off and, uh, and we were so discouraged by that, that for the second Violent Femme, we almost just didn't do any promo. Like we were going to promote the event and make a poster and stuff, but we almost didn't do a photo shoot or a video or anything. And Ruby and her, uh, her friend were like, Hey, like David, like we should really do this. Like, let's just do something. Like we'll do like a very DIY, like one and so we did and that one's like we're like housewives and it's like a comedy and it's kind of like really like campy and silly and it sticks out like a sore thumb compared to all the other stuff that we did but I'm glad that we did because if we hadn't done that we would have missed out on a lot of really cool shoots yeah and you guys had a really cool um like 
kind of like a promo thing with that one too, where it's like if people came, they got masks or something, or what was uh, it? The masks. Or like a photo or something. There was that. So for the one where we were aliens, there was one. There was a promo where if you the first like fifty or hundred, I can't remember, people got like a DNA kit. A little DNA kit with like it had like a little uh, I don't know lab test bag with like a little postcard with a, a shot of us and then like a little pin. And then later, when we did Violent Femme Fresh Me, if the people got there early, they got like gloves and like butcher gloves and a face mask. That's pretty cool. And we threw all those out, and that was fun. I think, um, yeah, we, we, we really had a lot. But that Violent Femme Fresh Me was probably the last like great time that I had in drag. Like, it was just, that was such a fun night. And was I that, felt- that's not the same as Miss. Fresh meat. Yeah, the fresh that yeah, was, Miss Fresh okay. Meat. Yeah. We it was just called Fresh Meat and then the the winner was Miss Fresh Meat. Uh, and like we didn't Tarjay. realize Yeah, it was Tarjay. Uh, we didn't realize how many people were gonna come and neither did the bar. Um, we had like over two hundred and fifty responses on the event, but the bar thought like, oh, two hundred and fifty responses means like hundred and twenty five people. We ended up having like four hundred people that night. And, like, they were so understaffed. I hope those bartenders made good money, though, because it was packed. Like, jam-fucking-packed in there. That was a really fun event. That surgical mask that you guys threw out, I actually had, and I wore at Magical Realness. Oh, really? Was Was that that it? The pink one? the pink one, yeah. (laughs) That I had matching with my jacket. And it's so weird, too, because I didn't plan to have it it was just in In your car it was in my pants oh and i have worn those pants a million times and never felt it in there but at magical realness i put the pants on and like i was like what the fuck is this it was in my back pocket and then i pulled it out and i was like oh shit this would actually look really sick because i was planning on doing the pink cowboy look yeah. And so the surgical mask made me look like a pink rave cowboy. Yeah, and it protects you from the coronavirus. Exactly. <laughs> that just maybe you guys released something. <laughs> God. <laughs> what role do you think Cheetah played in like your drag ascendance? I think like Cheetah as my drag mom cuz whenever I started performing at Stonewall, I had already been doing makeup and posting pictures and looks and stuff online it's like one of those internet things and so like by the time that I got to Stonewall I already kind of knew what I wanted to do like I had like a voice and I had like an idea of how I wanted to do my face and stuff what I didn't have was anybody anybody with more experience than me that could give me some guidance you know and that's what Cheetah has been since I met her because One thing about the gay community is that we are very segregated by age, like in the modern gay community, right? It didn't used to be this way, but if you go to like Austin's like young queer parties, like good luck finding somebody over the age of 30, you know, or 40. Um, And so, and like, that's not great because that isn't really reflective of our community, how it used to be. And um, and so I think, like, I don't know, it's important to interact with people who are older than you and have more experience than you, wiser than you, and, like, can tell you what it is. Because our parents, our biological parents, don't they can't do that. And our peers are just as lost as we are. 
So there needs to be somebody, you know, like, for example, to tell you, like, hey, you can take a break from drag, and if you decide to come back to it in 10 years, guess what? People are still going to be doing it, you know? So I think for as far as, like, Cheetah's contribution to my artistic career and what I do now, I think, uh, well, I wouldn't be here without her, for one, and for two, like, just, you know, wisdom and advice and imparting uh, experience and passing that along is really like is I don't know I couldn't have gotten it from anybody else so and how ridiculous is she cheetah yeah. oh yeah so I was actually thinking about this because the first time that I ever met you was at Stonewall where uh, you I don't know if I was performing that night but you were performing that night and you were wearing this like little vest and you were dancing up on stage, and I like, leaned over to Cheetah, and I was like, who's he? He's cute. And then Cheetah, after you get off stage, is like, hey, Greg, hentai wants to suck your dick. And I was like, oh, I learned something about Cheetah that night. But... That was so funny, because mm. I remember uh, whenever she said that, I was like, did I hallucinate that? It's all Cheetah. Like, yeah. Not just, hey, Hentai uh, said you're cute. No, Hentai wants oh. to suck your dick. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I think I just like waved. <laughs> I was like, well, I was just like, oh my god, Hentai knows who I am. Yay. <laughs> no, at that time I wasn't anything. Like that, at that time. I'm telling you, your very first performance that I saw with the ski mask, which is mm. like, I don't know. I think it was. Um... It was Mr. President by Kylie Minogue, but it was slowed down. That yeah. was, like, one thing that I really liked doing, especially at the beginning. And, like, I had the ski mask. Was it the time that the music stopped? Because that was traumatic. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think This so. number is me in a ski mask and a, and a trench coat. And I come out and I do Mr. President by Kylie Minogue, slowed down. And then I, like, take off the trench coat and I'm, like, naked underneath it. Except for I have something covering my no-no parts because it's a bar in Texas. We can't show that. And um, and the first time I did it, I guess the file that I sent was corrupted or something. So right whenever I take off, like, the beat drops and I, like, rip off the trench coat, the music just stops. And I'm just, like, standing there. And then, like, there's a video of it somewhere. I don't think it exists anymore, but I just sort of, you like... Think you think your lawyers took care of it? I hope so. You see, you see my body posture just kind of change from, like, confident to, like, oh, no. Because you have that moment of silence. Where you're like, everybody is like engrossed in watching and then suddenly it's silent and you can hear shuffling and like the movement of lips and you're like, oh no, <laughs> what am I doing? So I ran off stage to the thing and I said, what's wrong? Because I, you know, I'm a fucking diva, I was pissed. And uh, they were like, the file doesn't work. Like it says it's still playing, but no music's coming out. And I was like, just play Toxic by Britney Spears. And they play Toxic by Britney Spears, the original version and I ran out there and just performed as best as I could. But... It was, uh, well, okay, I, I will tell you, since then, I have had maybe one tops, like, musical malfunction. So you learn, you grow from it, but my God, talk about trauma. That was really frightening. I could totally see the part where you said your posture shifted. Yeah, it's like, I was, like, very confident, and suddenly it's kind of like, you, like, shrink in, and you're like, oh, no, where am I? Why am I naked and there's people looking at me? <laughs> It's, it's an abrupt... It's like coming out of a hypnotism. Yes, it's like an abrupt return to reality. Like, suddenly Kylie Minogue is gone, and all you've got is the sound of shifting weight in the crowd. 
Are you tired of the insignificant present? What about the miserable past? Let us now focus on a modern phenomenon. This EP is by Vestite Music, and it is an existential boogie. If you enjoy spaceship sounds, depression, or questioning the very nature of life itself, then this is the EP for you that is Modern Phenomenon by Vestite, available on Spotify and wherever music is listened. Welcome back, motherfuckers. Yeah, I made my own trailer to Vestite shit. Big deal. What you gonna do about it? I'm being dead-ass serious, too. You better fucking listen to this goddamn EP, because it fucking goes off. It's number one on my repeat list. I'm not fucking around. Don't fuck with me. Anyways, here's the rest of the interview. So, a lot of people in Austin might know you as the drag queen who won Austin's Next Drag Superstar and then quit <laughs> drag almost, like, a year or two after. I won that in, uh, I came back to the U.S. in 20... I graduated in 2016. Yeah, I came back here in at the end of 2016. I probably won that in 2017, and I quit in 2019. So yeah, two years later. Yeah. So my immediate follow-up question is, who the fuck do you think you are making <laughs> all of this music? I took away somebody's opportunity to shine, and now I'm like, see ya. <laughs> Toward the end of doing drag, I really just like started to resent it, because I was working two jobs, super duper busy, but still trying to make the drag thing happen. And my heart wasn't in it. And so a lot of the performances that I did toward the end, like, I'm not really, like, particularly proud of. It was just, like, cross the finish line. You know, when you get off of work at 10 and the call time is 10.30, it's like, okay, I'm going to put a mask on and glue a bunch of shit to my face. Like, that's what I'm going to do. But people would still come up and, like, love it. And, like, like nothing had changed. And so I kind of felt like, well, you know, if I'm not even, like, fully extending myself and doing the art that I want to do, but I'm getting the same response then, like, maybe I should just, like, do what I want to do. You know what I mean? And so then that's kind of what led into it. I decided to do what I want to do. That is really amazing. That's fucking badass. I See, like, I knew that at a point you had resented it, but I could totally see that, like, you know, anytime somebody comes up and they're like, oh, that was amazing, like, it's almost kind of like... <laughs> And not to dishonor, but like whenever people go so crazy over art pop mm. in certain respects, and it's like she hated that entire project mm. from, you know, the rumors are. Um, but to have someone reassure you on something that you thought was cheap. Mm. <laughs> or that you're not really proud of, but like they, 
I don't know, but that and, and I think that is something like totally one hundred percent like within me that I have to work. Oh, on. completely. Because like, I was just about to tell you a big reason. Like, even if you didn't like it, like the reason why I particularly was so drawn to it was because it's so different, mm. and the fact that it's so different, the way that you inspire people like transcends mediums. So. Whenever I see you, like, on stage looking so fucking phenomenal and just, like, otherworldly, like, a fucking alien, Mm. (laughs) and then, like, literally anything that you do, the looks are so different, too. There's, like, meanings and shit. Like, I know that sometimes it might seem cheap to you, whatever it is that you're doing because your heart isn't 100% invested in it. Mm. But for the audience, just seeing the conglomerate of different experiences all in one mm. thing is just so overwhelming to the creative mind. So it's like, that's that's what I love and like hold on to so much Mm. because whenever I tell you that you've been inspirational I could see in your drag and in your music too how Mm. you just fiercely put focus on your goals and Mm. then do everything you can to actually grow as an artist and that's that's like boots turn the house down. Fuck yes, girl. <laughs> like, and that's that's always what I've wanted to do. So thank you. Everything informs everything else, you know. So like, before I did drag, I did mostly visual arts and writing, and then that kind of translated into my drag, where I was trying to communicate the same ideas that I had been writing and and drawing about, but now via performance medium, um, and then taking that now the drag which kind of evolved into something else. I mean, it's still, like, I always... My my drag, I always tried to make it something open, like, where somebody could watch it, like, maybe five people could watch it, and they would all get a different idea of what happened. And and that's, like, that's what I wanted... Like, that's... I always wanted it to be just very... Uh, I don't know. not Nothing objective. Like, all very just, like, up to your interpretation. And I, I never answer anything. Like, not even... Sam hates it. My, my partner, Sam hates it because he'll ask me like uh, after like a show like what's that performance about or like when I come up with music like what's that song about and I'm like I don't know what do you think like because I don't want to answer it because that to me that kind of like ruins the fun of it so anyway I took that what I everything that I learned in drag and everything before that that I had learned through being a visual artist and a writer and like now I think with music I'm taking all of that and kind of translating it into a new medium and I think I'm my own worst critic, so I'm very critical of myself, but I think I'm really proud of what I've been able to do, you know, because I don't have, like, any training, like, I learned everything off of YouTube. You literally won a drag competition in Austin that was, like, the drag competition yeah, at, at the, the time. time. Not anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, whenever I first came to Austin, um, I had... Lived in St. Marcus, done drag there for a year. I went back to Japan and lived there for three months. And I, in that time, in my mind, I thought I was going to, like, I had a partner there, and I thought I was going to, like, 
get a job in a Japanese company or like working as a teacher or doing something and just like live in Japan. And I had, you know, spent over a year there and I thought that that was what was going to happen to me. And I got there and like had this like realization like, no, this is not where I want to be. I love Japan, but it's not my home. Uh, my partner, there were a lot of problems there as well. So I pulled out, came back, moved to Austin. And that was the first thing I did was I, or like one of the first things I did was I uh, auditioned for uh, Drag Survivor, and I did one of the numbers, my, like, to this day, like, favorite number to perform, and it was, like, a slowed-down version of Sex Dreams by Lady Gaga, where I, like, take off my wig, and there's, like, the spikes on the head. I did that, and then, yeah, I ended up winning. At the time, Drag Survivor was, like, a... It was a little bit on the decline, but, like, that one particular season was really fun, I thought. Like, everybody liked it. It, it was definitely one of the most diverse uh, ones that mm. I think I've seen. I don't know very much about the ones before, but I do know that that one was incredibly diverse. Mm. So it was interesting to me to see you, like, in that, and just completely fucking slay, like, mm. ruthlessly. Like, mm. it, was, it was kind of insane. I even have a video of, I think, that... It was a different one, the Taylor Swift song. Oh, uh, that was actually, I think that was the finale of the season after the one that I won. Okay, so it was like you, And I like lit my, uh, I had like sparklers on my bra and I lit my tits on fire. Yeah. That was fun. That was... (laughs) I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the um, sparklers to ignite at first and I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And then they did it and I was like, okay, turn around. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I had I had so much fun doing drag and that and I think that was the um like the saddest thing about it. I was going through my old tweets like and I found one from like uh November and it was like I haven't had fun I can't remember the last time I had fun in drag. And like that totally represents exactly how I felt, you know, toward the end of doing drag was I was just like I wasn't having fun anymore. And um a friend of mine, Zane Zena, who does drag here in Austin, told me, if you're not having fun anymore, then stop. And that she didn't tell me that, like, when I told her, like, I'm not having fun anymore. No, she told me that, like, m- like I don't know, years ago I heard that from her. And I just thought, you know what? Like, if I'm not having fun anymore, then, like, yeah, I'm going to stop. And so I did. And then um, I got booked for my first music performance gig at Cheer Ups. I think it was a show that Y2K and Pink Star were doing. And I remember, like, before I went on, I was just, like, so excited. And I was so nervous. And I, like, wanted to throw up. And I was like, oh, my God, I haven't felt like this in years. Like, I mean, because that's how you feel at the beginning when you start performing. Um, but it was just, like, doing something new that really, I don't know, reinvigorated me. And I don't like to do the same thing for too long. And Austin's drag scene, I love. And I have so many friends in it. But, like, the big problem that we're facing now, I think, is oversaturation. I mean, there's just so many drag queens now um rain the bar does a show called showstopper which is like an open mic night where you can go and if you win you get like a hundred dollars and like i uh was there and there were like 18 yeah performers at showstopper which gags me but it's i i think it's like amazing because like it's really i think a great idea i think a lot of people should do drag and like perform and express themselves but also, like, that 
to me, imagining how I started out. When I started out, it was incredibly competitive, and all the spots were filled. There were no open cast positions. It was like, you got to do what you got to do. So I did a competition. But for them, like, to imagine the fact that, like, you could go to an open mic night, and it's already got 18 girls in there, or I don't know, like, not just girls, but 18 performers in there. Like, how do you start in that? (laughs) Yeah, truly. It's... It's insane. But I think people notice something that's different. And I think, like, uh, recently, like, of course, like, shortly after uh, I did the Drag Survivor, or not shortly after, but, like, a couple seasons after Mars did it, and Mars made a huge splash in Austin. It's insane, too. Like, both of you are, like, Sam Marcus inspirations to me. And, like, I mean, it includes our entire drag family. Mm-hmm. Starting with, full disclosure, shout out to Mother Cheetah oh in the God. motherfucking house. Cue the air horns. But, um, oh. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's like seeing you and Mars win Drag Survivor. Like, yeah, there's an oversaturation, but the fact that it's, like, my fucking sisters and we know how hard we work in mm. all of the shit that we do. It's it just, how can it not warm your heart completely, you know? It, yeah, people notice, people notice when somebody's doing, not even necessarily something different, but just doing something that's true to them. And I think, like, that's very true for Mars, that's true for myself. Um, recently, Tarjay, if you know Tarjay, has, like, yeah. really blown up in Austin, and, like, I think she does something very unique and something that is, like, fully 100% her, and that's why people like it. And, like, there are so many people out there, performers, not just drag queens, but, like, artists who are, like, trying so hard to do something else or be someone else. And it's, like, the most cliche thing in the world, and it gives you an existential crisis just hearing it. But, like, be yourself. You know, it's like, okay, well, who am I? But yeah. yeah. I've always just found it kind of hard, like, as a male performer. Mm. Like, um, I... bias. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and it comes from everyone, though. Mm. (laughs) Like, it's insane to me. Because whenever I think sometimes, like, I I meet people who will, like, book another person that Mm. I've known. And it's like, our relationship outlasts that one. Mm. And it's just like damn like you know like i thought that as a male performer i was you know standing out enough so that's like a thing that i feel like i have to confront a lot of the time too where it's like oh shit like i wish i was tripping and you know not actually picking up on that but at the same time like that's just the truth and where things lie also as an artist, though, you have to do it for yourself. So mm. it's like, okay, well, I don't give a fuck. Obviously, if it took me this long to even realize that, then that just shows me how much fun I've had doing it. For sure. Those times. Yeah, I think it's like what you were talking about earlier, like with the validation and like, you know, hearing somebody say that they love what you do and stuff. I mean, it feels good, but ultimately, if you're doing it just for that, it's not going to be fulfilling. Like, you've got to do what it is that you want to do. And, like, like kind of back to the drag thing, like, I wasn't having fun, so I stopped. Like, do I, like, I don't know, 
do I think that just because you're not having fun that you should immediately quit? No, because you're going to have ups and downs as an artist. But if you're, like, stuck on a full, like, down for a minute, like, I think it's a good idea to, to stop and try something new. Yeah. I got that from Cheetah. Cheetah. Cheetah takes breaks all the time. Like, not all the time, but, like, in her life, she has taken many breaks from drag, and she's always come back to it. And I think right now she's, like, coming out of another uh, a break, because I've seen she's, like, performing again. But she told me, like, that's the secret to longevity, is, like, take breaks. Like, don't... You drag will never go away, and uh, I don't know that I'll ever go back to doing drag at the rate that I was doing. I know that I am going to be doing some performances this year in drag, like for a couple of different events and stuff that are happening. But like, you know, it'll it'll always be there, and if I want to do it, I can. That's the like joy of it. But whenever I told everybody that I was like taking a step back from it, it was more of just like a. A disclaimer. Yeah. Like, so that way it's like, don't expect this too much. Exactly. <laughs> don't, and like, don't, uh, you know, don't reserve spots for me in your show. Give it to somebody else. Um, whenever I, whenever I, uh, like decided to quit or take a step back, whatever, I, um. There's an ice cream man up in here. That's awesome. <laughs> it comes up every, it must be one. Yep. Every day, this man comes by at one, sells ice cream to the children, and he leaves. They play It's a Small World After All. Do you want to wait? No, it's okay. No. It just can... adds to the flavor. I, whenever there's, like, noises or something, it's just always better to, like, address them or whatever. Yeah, so... explain what it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, okay, so back to what I was saying. Um, whenever I took a step down, I told Louisiana that I was going to leave the cast of Die Felicia because I wasn't going to be doing drag anymore. And she was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll leave this spot open for you, and if you decide to come back, then, like, you've always got a place here. And I was like, no. I was like, fill the cast. Like, fill it up. Like, get somebody else in there because, like, don't... I, I knew I wasn't going to be coming back, but also, like because of the oversaturation and the, like, density of performers that we have, like, give that spot to somebody else. It would and feel unfair. Exactly. And I think, like, why, uh, like, if I do decide to come back and do drag again, I know, like, still that's family and, like, that there's going to be I a place s- for me there. So, like, you know, but anyway, I was really glad whenever um, they, like, put chick fil on the cast because, like, honestly... Like, she's done that show so many times, and, like, I never really understood why she wasn't on it anyway to begin with. So, I'm glad that she's on there. Um, I went to Die Felicia on Friday, um, and it was phenomenal. Louisiana and Zane both weren't there, so it was, like, a different kind of Die Felicia, but uh, Mascara was uh, the, like, host, and she was oh, she's hysterical. She's so funny. I love her. That's awesome. I wanted to go. I was so exhausted, though. Mm. I've been, like, I kind of took a break along for a while of just not even going out mm. anymore. Same. And um, it was amazing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I've just, like, started going back in because I kind of feel like I have to <laughs> for this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, I, I love going out and seeing my friends and you know, being in the community, but sometimes it can be a little bit, like, exhausting, especially because we are a tight-knit community of artists, and people like to come up and talk, and 
Um, I'm an introvert, and sometimes that's, like, a lot. Especially if people want to come up and talk about, like, oh, my God, like, why aren't you doing drag anymore? And I'm like, uh, it's on Facebook. Like, I <laughs> Yeah, just, true. Like, it, I would just send, I would literally just send them the link. <laughs> like, in the conversation? Uh, yeah. I mean, why the fuck not? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, it's just... The, the one thing that I will say about being part of an artistic community, especially the drag community, is that everybody is in, everybody is, like, living this fantasy of being this, like, sexy, hot superstar that they are, um, and the difference between my bar friends and my close friends are, my close friends are the people who can turn it off, like, because... You can't always be that character. You can't always believe that you're the best thing on the earth and that you're the superstar. And uh, there are some people who just, like, straight up, they, they, like, can't turn it off. Like, they're always in, in like, in character or, like, uh, I don't know. They're always turned on. And um, so going out, you're kind of surrounded by people who are all turned on. And they're all living their fantasy, which is, like, can be, like, this kind of like euphoric thing or it can be like you're surrounded by creative yes men yeah creative yes men or creative narcissist or creative like you know and, and to be fair i think all creatives and all artists have that element of themselves i mean it's a self-indulgent thing the world is on fire and we're dressing up like women and dancing like but you know like it's the ability to be self-aware and like and and switch it off when you need to that to me makes somebody like I don't know more than a drag friend, right? Yeah, yeah. like a, a close friend, like somebody you can like sit down and chat with. Yeah, that's why I love that. Like, we have our family, like our drag family. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that I can call mother or like Tasha, and whenever I bump into mars we always like have a moment too so i think it's really beautiful that like we're part of the same family mm. and, and when we all if we all get together i tried to get us all together i i texted cheetah that we should all do something for thanksgiving and it because we did that in the past and those are those yeah are the, the friendsgiving so fun i wish that we would do, do that again we should do like a barbecue or something yeah i would love that I... Are you still a vegetarian? Mm-hmm. I can eat something. I'll eat barbecued veggies. <laughs> Shish kebab. Oh, yeah. Me and Cheetah had some Brussels sprouts that oh, completely my changed my I fucking life. Brussels sprouts. They were so good. Where was it? It was at some place in Wimberley, mm. and instead of fries, you could get Brussels sprouts, and we ate them, and I was almost like, if I could grab every potato on earth and just chunk it into the sun and replace it with Brussels sprouts. These Brussels sprouts. Yes, exactly. With the, those, there's, I would have done it. There's this uh, vegetarian restaurant called Citizens Eater. Oh, sorry. <coughs> <coughs> Coronavirus! There's a plague going around in Austin. Oh my god, I have it. Um, <laughs> there, uh, there's this vegetarian restaurant on the north side called Citizens Eatery that I love, and they have the best Brussels sprouts. They do. It's like Brussels sprouts with little like almond slivers, and they like 
uh, pan fry them, and they have this sauce and this fucking, like, garlic aioli or something like that. It's just like, oh my god, like, that shit, uh, every time Sam, like, wants to go on a date or, like, do a date night, I'm like, let's go to Citizen's Eatery. <laughs> I want those Brussels sprouts. Yes. It's ridiculous how, like, easy they are to cook, too. Yeah. Oh, it's funny you mentioned that. The last time I tried to make Brussels, Brussels sprouts, I, like, burnt all of them. Oh, no. I threw them. Yeah, I know. So, for how easy it is. I normally do very well, but I uh, forgot to set a timer. Well, so them hoes get crispy sometimes. They do. And I was, like, I was, like, looking at them. Because, like, you know, like, sometimes you get Brussels sprouts from a restaurant. You're like, dang, these are crispy. But then you eat them, and they're good. So I was like, oh, yeah, this might be fine. I, like, tried to buy one. Oh, my God, no. It was, like, a piece of charcoal. <laughs> I left it in there for, like, twice as long as it should have been. That's so sad. So at what point in your drag stuff did you know that you wanted to do music? Did you mention earlier that you always knew you wanted to do music? I always did music, actually. Um, so high school into college, I used a number of different programs like whenever I was in high school I used Fruity Loops and then whenever I was in college I was using Ableton and then now I do all of my production on um on Logic Pro and so like I was always making music and I have my old music like it's still there it's on SoundCloud um but it's it was never something that I thought like hey I could really do this you know um and then I was starting to feel bored with drag went through sort of like tumultuous like personal life period and I just needed to do something new and so originally I released my first single that I released was Magnetic and I released it as Hentai um, I didn't have a vestite or a name for the project it was just an extension of the drag which now looking back actually was really a good I think a good idea because it got it helped me kind of transport some of the following from music uh, from drag into music and that song was the second song that I wrote in that time period the first one I never put out um, and I made the demo on my bed in my old one-bedroom apartment on my laptop I didn't even have a mic I had no hardware I had a couple of MIDI keyboards and controllers and stuff but that was it and a drum machine and I, anyway, I recorded the demo for it, and um, listening back now, it's, like, crazy how much, uh, like, progress and improvement there's been in my production skills since then. But I listened to that demo on my bed, and I was kind of like, you know what, I like this. Like, this is kind of fun. It's like a dance thing. And, um, and I had a friend, Joe, who does, like, he's a musician, and he's a, pro a producer. Joe Stacy, sorry, Joe Stacy. And Joe had posted on Facebook that he was looking to do something new, a new project. He just he wanted to work on something. And, like, I had thought about reaching out to Joe before, but when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is the time. Like, I have these demos. I have Joe. So I sent him the demos. He was like, let's do it. We got together. He helped me produce that song and a couple of other songs that went on to be on the EP. And during that process, like, it wasn't just like I, like, handed the demos to Joe and said like here make something you know like we were in the room together for everything like there there were maybe sometimes where like if we couldn't get something quite right he'd be like well let me work on it and then I'll send you a thing but like that whole time I just watched and I was like absorbing everything that he was doing because Joe is he's a great producer and he's very knowledgeable and he's a teacher and he's super patient too so if there was something that he was doing like wait wait, wait what's going on here he'd be like oh and then he would like teach me how to do it and, like, 
after doing four songs, we did, no, three, we did Magnetic, Break It Up, and Dark Signal. Those are the three that I did with Joe. I sent off a demo to Mr. Kitty, and then um, we recorded the vocals with Joe, and then Mr. Kitty produced that all on his own. That one I really was completely hands off. And then the fourth, or the fifth song, the last song on the EP, Mind Slave, was the first song that I did everything all by myself and just put it out. And listening back to it now, like, I don't know, there's things I would do differently, of course, but that was kind of, like, I took all of what I had learned from watching Joe and, like, everything that I had learned from making music and demos in the past and was able to put out a finished, clean-sounding product. And so now, with the EP that I'm working on now, or, well, finished, it's, everything's already submitted, everything. Um, the Cheer Captain is the first single, and then there's, the th there's gonna be three other songs, and I did everything, like, from start to finish, like, there was no other producers or input or anything. And it's really hard. <laughs> and it's, it's, like, much more frustrating because I don't have as much know-how and experience as Joe. So sometimes it can take me a lot longer to do one thing than it might take him. He could do it in a couple minutes. And for me, it's like, I got to watch a YouTube video for an hour and then figure out how to do it. But it's really rewarding. And I'm really proud of of how it sounds like listening to the first cuts and the demos versus the final I'm like oh my god like this is like it sounds like you you know you pulled it out of the abyss and it's like you can you can hear it and see it and it like sounds really clear and I, I'm really happy with that so so on, on your first songs mm -hmm. um, that you mentioned that you did break it up dark signal and magnetic magnetic yeah, yeah. so those were the three that Three of many songs that I wrote and recorded demos for and then brought to Joe. And then The Way It Felt, which is the one that I did with Mr. Kitty, was a leftover demo from that time that was just kind of like, um, I think I sent Mr. Kitty a, a SoundCloud link with like a private playlist of just a bunch of demos that I hadn't used and, and that was the one that he was like interested in. And so we re-recorded vocals and I rewrote some of the stuff and we sent that to him, and then he did all the production. And Mind Slave came way after. It was like after, uh, there was a fifth song that was supposed to be on the EP that Joe and I did together, and ultimately I just decided I didn't like it, and I didn't want it on the EP, so I took that off, and then like over the course of a week, uh, was playing with some of my new hardware that I, I had gotten a new drum machine, and I made Mind Slave, and, um, Sam was like, you should put this on the EP. And I was like, well, I have to submit it this week, but okay. And so we did. Well. What kind of themes inspire you for songwriting? Because I'm personally not a songwriter, so I mm. always kind of wonder, like, what is it that you think um, kind of, like, leads to the generation of a song? It's It it changes. It depends. On the first EP, every it was a breakup. EP like uh, I went through a breakup and then ultimately like everything boils down to that like it's all maybe not Dark Signal or Mind Slave so much um, but the other ones are all like very obviously breakup songs so for that it, I was drawing on fully on personal experience uh, but taking my personal experience and trying to translate it into a feeling or an image or something like that on the new EP, I think there's a lot more storytelling going on. Like, it's not 
they're not necessarily I mean of course there's an element of myself in everything that I make because I made it but they're not necessarily autobiographical in any way they're more um, like it's like storytelling you know and so I was inspired by Kate Bush I have a, a photo book of Kate Bush's stuff and I was reading about her and like all of her songs are non-autobiographical like she's just writing stories in music and so I kind of was like well I want to do that and so I wrote a couple songs and uh, yeah and then some of them are very autobiographical so I mean it just depends Mother wouldn't want me now Call me from the litter Wipe the blood from my throat How would you say that your like upbringing was like with my mom. Just like in every everything, like where are you from? How? Uh, I'm from Liberty Hill, which is north of Austin, just just north of Austin. So it's like a suburb of a suburb. It's like by Round Rock, and I think, uh, I mean, it's like a rural town. So like it's very country, and uh, I never really fit in in high school. But I had some good. I had some good friends. Uh, and like high school wasn't like I think now like that I'm an, an adult and I look back at high school and junior high like it wasn't as bad as I thought it was like in the time it was really difficult but I, I did have some really good friends that like at least I had like somewhat of a normal normal upbringing but yeah I mean and then my, my family is very religious my mom's a southern baptist or was well, I mean she still is but she's cooled down a whole lot and, uh, so I don't know, it's like conservative and very repressed and not the, maybe not the greatest, but not the worst either. I recognize that, um, could have been a lot worse. How were you as a, like, kid back then? Were you, like, rebellious or anything like that? No. Just... My major hang-up as a child is that, like, I always... I wanted to create the least amount of problems in my home because there were... There, you know, there was shit going on in my family, and uh, I just, you know, wanted to be the best child that I could. And I think, like, actually that theme is something that I kind of explore in the Cheer Captain song, because it's a song about, like, wanting to be perfect. And I, that's, that is, like, me to, like, a T, or me in a nutshell. Like, I am a perfectionist. And I do my best to maintain social harmony. A lot of that, also, I lived in Japan for some time, and, like, social harmony is, like, the name of the game over there. Like, you don't do anything that, you know, negatively affects the people around you or might cause inconvenience or, you know, problems for people around you. And so, like, I think that really fed into my own personal, I don't know, style. And so, I don't know. But yeah, my, my childhood, not that bad. And I have a great family for, uh, well, three siblings by blood, two step-siblings, so I'm one of, uh, however many that is, one of six. And uh, I still talk to all my siblings, and yeah, it's not too bad. My mom and I have gotten a lot closer. I think we were very, very close, and then uh, around the time that I came out, there was, like, a little bit of a distance, and, like, we didn't really, like, see eye to eye on a lot of things, and then now, like, we're back to where we can just, you know, kind of, yeah. How interact. do you think your mom sees your art? Did she ever see this, she like, did. baby 
performance? Um, I don't know. Or... I don't know what she's seen. So I told her about me doing drag, like maybe like two or three years into into having already like started it. And like she, when I told her, she was like super like supportive. I mean, I guess supportive because she she wasn't like angry, you know. And so, but it also to me, I really strongly feel that she already knew, and I think she had done some like internet sleuthing of her own. So, I don't know what she's seen. I know she's heard my music. How I you, showed her my music. How do you explain your drag? How did you I don't. It? I don't. No, I mean, I just tell her, like, I tell her, like, why I do it. I mean, like, it's, it's, drag for me was, like, everything that I was always good at put into one package, which is, like, you know, performance and, uh, visual arts and uh, directing and you know everything that I had done I did directing in college and so like all the things that I had done and the things that I enjoyed and the things that I had always been felt that I was good at were kind of placed all together into one package now music is kind of like that thing but I think yeah I think she's she's excited about it she's happy that I'm doing it what came with the name Vestite and Hentai like how did hentai come about and how did you kind of pivot into vestite mm. or is your relationship with hentai still going because it kind of sounded earlier like you said it is yeah i'm gonna do a couple of uh so sam my partner is gonna do we're gonna do a benefit for him because he's gonna get top surgery and so shout out to sam yay i love you sam but anyway we're gonna do um a benefit for him and I told him I was gonna get in drag to do it because it's kind of weird to do uh, like music set for a benefit and it's gonna be all drag so I was just like eh. and I kind of want to I miss I do miss drag like watching drag I'm like I really want I miss it so but I don't want to go back to how I was doing it before so I yeah I am still you know hentai and it's funny because all my friends still call me hentai so I'm like it's it'll be my name for as long as I live in Austin, Texas. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't slurring you on. No, <laughs> no, I don't care. I mean, it, for me, it's like a nickname. Uh, for the past four years of my life, people have called me that, so I still respond to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so the name Vestite came from a list of names that I made uh, for like what I wanted to call the project. Cause I realized like I wanted to separate it from drag because I felt that there was a certain expectation that came with doing music as a drag artist because there's so much focus on appearance and the visual side of it, which of course, like I love visual arts and I love, I sew and I like to make costumes and stuff, but I wanted to focus on the music. So I needed a way to separate it. So Originally, I wanted it to have some kind of connection to hentai, um, just as like a way to kind of connect the two dots. And um, I wanted to call the project Anime Porn in all caps. And and I thought like that could be funny. And then I realized, you know, like this, uh, originally I came up, came up with the name hentai or, you know, borrowed the name hentai because I had just come back from Japan and I wanted a name that would be equally funny to all my friends that I had just met in Japan and all my friends that, you know, are American. And so I chose hentai and it was like a joke too, because I didn't want a drag name and Cheetah was like, no child, you need a drag name. And I was like, okay, hentai. And it was like a joke. Like it was, it wasn't really like going to stick. I didn't think I would stick with drag for so long. Anyway, 
So whenever I thought about naming the project anime porn, I was like, you know what? That's really not me anymore. Like, I don't watch anime. I, I do play a lot of, like, Japanese video games, and I still speak Japanese with my friends. But, like, you know, I'm not really interested in the anime subculture, and I didn't want to, like... Appropriate it? Not really. Not even that, because... I mean, like, yeah, I, I wanted to leave that part behind as well. But also, I didn't want to um, attract... <laughs> this sounds bad. I didn't want to attract that kind of fan. You know what I mean? Because I don't make music for anime lovers. Like, I don't think that they're... I mean, not to say that somebody who loves anime and is, like, a big otaku wouldn't also like my music. I hope that they do. But that's not my, like, target. And I, there were, throughout my drag... People have always made a lot of comparisons to like Japanese fashion or anime or things like that, and I'm sure that there's a, a large element of that in my drag, but that was never my like main source of inspiration. What's interesting too about the name hentai is like the Japanese definition mm. versus the English one. Can you like talk about that? Because you could definitely do it better than I could. Oh yeah, absolutely. So well, in the United States, hentai is you know, completely related to internet culture. It was the name that was given to anime porn. So when people hear hentai, they think anime porn. Um, in Japan, the word, or in Japanese, that word hentai is not, if if you say the word hentai to a Japanese person, it's gonna, it means like a weird, strange person. Somebody who's a freak or somebody who is a pervert or somebody who is uh, maybe even like kind of queer or strange, different. Um, they're not gonna, if you say hentai, they're not gonna immediately think of anime porn. Uh, now, if you're in an, if you're in a anime store or a manga store and you say, oh, show me the hentai manga, then they're gonna bring, they know exactly what you mean. They're gonna bring you there. But, but the word itself doesn't mean anime porn. I thought there was like another definition too that said something like how you said, mm -hmm. um, outlandish, but like two-spirit or like male and female or something like that mm, or no. no or maybe i was thinking vestite instead Vest, yeah vestite. i feel like you had a post at one point that kind of like defined i don't know something probably not hentai like, hentai doesn't have anything to do with uh like that it's more of like a sexual deviant or somebody who's kind of like or somebody who's just a freak like i whenever i was in japan i lived with a host family and we were watching uh, some, I don't know, uh, TV, like, uh, what do they call it, like a variety show. And there was some comedian in there who came out in a crazy costume. And my little host sister, who was like eight years old at the time, was like, hentai. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, she said a bad word, she said anime porn. You know, like in my mind, because like for Americans, that's what we think. Yeah. And like whenever she said that, I was like, oh, okay, it just means somebody who's like a freak. Or like somebody who's just doing something that's kind of like, cre not creepy, but like, different, weird, queer. So you said that everything after Break It Up is kind of more storytelling focused, or which one was it that you said uh, is more storytelling focused? Uh, everything off of the new EP, which is called Modern Phenomenon, and it comes out on February 28th, available on all streaming platforms. So yep. February 28th, go to my Instagram or Twitter, and there's probably a pre-save link. Go do that, listen to it. I hope, oh my god, I really hope that one of the songs gets playlisted by Spotify. That's like my big, it's like the biggest frustration because, 
uh, on the topic of oversaturation, there's just so much music out there now that it's really hard to get your music into the ears of someone. Because on your release radar, there's like 30 new songs every week. Like, how can you possibly find new music? There's like too much new music. I don't know. Anyway. And if it is after the 28th, then mm. holla, go get that shit, stream it. Stream it, because yeah. Cheer Captain is uh, definitely the song of the week. Which is like a big a big deal um, to me because I feel like my songs of the week usually encapsulate either like just songs that not only go hard but go so hard that they like inspire me so the first one that we had for that was love reaction by divine oh that's a good one and so cheer captain is such a fucking bop i have been listening to it on repeat for like a day and a half at this point Mm. and it's totally the fucking wave like i love the way that you get that kind of 80s technicolor windows halfway down (laughs) kind Mm. of vibe and also the art that you did for it is fucking gorgeous oh the album art yes oh thank you yeah, we did that in, in the living room. I wanted to do everything, like, really DIY this time because I didn't want to... I got, I'm I'm burnt out on, like, photo shoots and uh, makeup and... The pageantry of yes, getting ready. Yes, like, there's so much. And so I just, you know, I found that cute. It, in, the, in the album art, I'm wearing this, like, 1960s vintage cheer uniform, and I found it on eBay. I was like, that's cute as fuck. Bought some pom-poms. Uh, we threw down a couple yards of fabric. I laid on top of it, and Sam sprinkled me with um, spangles, mixed spangles. They're just like those little foil yeah. cutouts of stars and hearts. And I don't think there were hearts, actually. I just think it was all stars. But anyway, he like sprinkled them over. And we took a couple pictures. Um, I He's not an aesthetics person, so like we had to take a lot of pictures to get the right angle. Because I'm like, Sam, mm-hmm. like it doesn't look good if you're shooting me up my nose. But... We took a bunch of cute pictures and... and uh, Growth. <laughs> yes. It, we finally got something and we just, uh, uh, you know, photoshopped the fuck out of it and so made does, it all So glitchy. does that mean that there's not a video for... No, I don't... I, I really want to do a video, but the biggest challenge with music videos is, like, purely financial and, like, it... I mean, you can do a really DIY approach to it, but it's even then still like a huge time commitment and um, financial as well. I mean, you got to put together something that somebody actually wants to watch. Yeah. I want to do music videos, but when I do them, I want to do them with like more resources, I think. Oh, I get you. We did the magnetic music video. and that was honestly like a labor of love from everyone involved. Jimmy uh, Jimmy Cadaver, who did the video, and Kennedy Baruch, and um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting names. Uh, but anyway, 
you know, everybody who did it did it for free or did it because they wanted the experience or something to put on their um, resume. And it turned out really, really well. I mean, like the final product is, is, is very good. like shooting that. We shot it in the bar called Elysium. It was very, very cold. Like it was in February and it was, oh my God, it was a year ago. Oh, oh holy crap. Um, it was <laughs> really cold and you, I was wearing- you, you just got so shook. I was, I'm fully shook. I can't believe that was a year ago. But I was in this latex cat suit and the big magnet headpiece and that's literally like, Latex is weird because in, if you're in a hot environment, it is like the hottest, sweatiest clothes that you could ever wear. But if you're in a cold environment, it is like being naked. And so I was basically naked in a 30 degree bar, like shivering um, between takes. I mean, like, it's really funny if you watch the like B footage, as soon as they call cut, I'm like, <laughs> it is just so bad. But, uh, but the video turned out really cool and something to be proud of. Um, I think... I would love to do a video for Cheer Captain. I would love to do a video for the next single or the like the one that the EP is named after called Modern Phenomenon. But if I do it, I want to do it right, you know. And um, and I don't feel right asking all of my friends to donate their time and money and resources, you know, because last time I paid everybody in like snacks and pizza and like it's it's and I'm sure that they would do it, but I I just it doesn't feel fair, you know. Um, also, I just wanted to kind of focus on the music and not worry so much about the the visuals and the, the face of it all. I think the next thing that I do will be the opposite. I think it will be a lot more, like you said, pageantry and like very flashy because I mi I'm starting to miss it. Like this EP, everything was like really chill. If, uh, the album art for the actual, the full EP is like, you can barely even see my face in it. Like, I just wanted to put out some music, but now I'm kind of like, okay, I want to do something crazy. Like, I want to, I want some sequins or some, like, you know, stones or something. I don't know. So I go through phases, but. What themes and stuff would you say, like, at least now kind of uh, encompass? That's okay. <laughs> Let me stop with the squeaky toy. Lemmy's got Lemmy's snuck that squeaky toy. Well, she's in the picture that we took, so this is her little entry into the podcast. <laughs> All right, thank you. thanks, Lem. Well, the themes of modern phenomenon, which is the EP that's coming out, are it was more about me like letting go and allowing myself to have uh, to have a little bit more fun and to lighten it up because I had a, a draft for another. EP that I was going to release in between Dark Signal and Modern Phenomenon, which I ended up kind of scrapping because it was just very morose and just sad and like dark and uh, and like I like it and and actually one of the songs did still make it onto the EP. There's one that's like the sound is very different and the 
and the overall like tone is very different and that one is on there it's from the old EP but I had like four songs a four song EP of just like kind of like big downer songs which some people like you know sad songs but I, I just thought about it and I was like you know what like I don't want to perform these like I want to do something fun and so I allowed myself to have a little fun and, and let loose a little bit Of course, there's always themes of gender that are woven in, and sexuality, which is important to me. And, um, some, and some yeah. of what I kind of get of it is like it seems um, extremely like existential. A uh, lot of it, mm. like um, the whenever you say like, and I'm gonna feel so happy I could die. Mm. It's like it seems like you can interpret it as like good or bad yeah like, like are is the cheerleader a good thing is it what you was actually aspire to be or is it facetious um i think it is what you make it listening to it but i think like there's i mean very obviously like a level of irony to the song because all of these things are impossible i'm a 26 year old person with you know a mustache i'm not going to be cheer captain i don't go to high school and I'm like now, oh my God, I'm like eight years older than anybody in a high school. So, you know, so it's a joke, it, but it's not at the same time. It's, I think it's open for interpretation. necessarily lyrically or if it's more of the feeling but it's kind of like it seems like um challenging fears as well because it seems like the fear of like being anything other than the cheerleader mm. or like and this is all just like what i gather of mm. it but like the cheer captain is the most popular girl in school there's mm. the parts where you say um I'm going to say all the right things so that they like me and mm. I'll lie awake because I think they're lying. Yeah, I think on the EP there's even more of that too. That kind of exploring, like you earlier you said it's like existential and I think Cheer Captain, I don't know if I would if I would go as far to say is very existential. Maybe it is, but so, some of the other songs on the EP I think definitely go more into that sort of existential territory and thinking about humanity and our experiences on a timeline like what are we now and are we still human you know because the way that we we function and, and the tools that we use are so vastly different from what people were using at the dawn of humanity you know like you said you made the music in your bedroom yeah exactly well yeah i mean that's like a a very like modern example of it is like now we can make these fully produced albums in our bedrooms which i think is like 
unbelievable and you go back farther in time and like recorded music wasn't even a thing you know like music was all experienced live so i think grimes infamously recently said that in in the future live music will be obsolete and a lot of artists were really upset by that but i mean if you look at the trend of of humanity we are moving toward uh, in a direction where people listen to less live music now than ever before in history so I don't think that it'll ever become obsolete because live music is amazing. Um, I think everyone can kind of agree. I mean, some people don't like it. But yeah, I think, I don't know, the, the album, one of the themes in the album is looking at humanity on a timeline and, uh, and thinking about where we fit in and are the things that we experience on a day-to-day -day now even relevant or comparable to the things that people in the past did you know and I like I, I I'm really into posthumanism and and the posthumanism was a big topic or a big theme that I that I explored on Dark Signal and and so this one I think is instead of looking toward the future which Dark Signal the, the song Dark Signal is about looking toward the future these songs are maybe more looking and comparing with the past um, and the whole song the whole album is retro like it has kind of a retro like 80s synth pop kind of vibe to it and a lot of the synths that I used were vintage or either either were either vintage synths or replications of vintage synths and so you know I was trying to go for something introspective but also retrospective too. Did you always know that that would eventually be a kind of genre that you would want to play with? I knew for this for this EP that I wanted to do something with uh, with sounds from a specific uh, decade. Like when people hear them, like I have a coworker, she's in her forties, late forties, and she was like ecstatic about the Cheer Captain single because she's like, "This is exactly what I used to listen to back in the '80s," and I thought that was a great compliment because this is somebody who was really into you know, the kind of new wave and the, you know, synth pop bands and, you know, uh, Depeche Mode and uh, New Order and Boy George and all the, you know, those kind of dead or alive, all that Arma stuff. Club. Yeah, exactly. Or Culture Club. Culture Club, yeah. Culture Club and uh, Dead or Alive with Pete Burns and all that. So I thought that was a really good compliment. I, I guess I at least succeeded in, in that to make something that did evoke... A specific decade and time. You did also ask about um, the name Vestite, and I yeah. and I just it was a list. Uh, we made a list, or I made a list of names, and then I asked some friends and um, asked Joe what he thought, and I ultimately landed on Vestite because I thought like going from drag, you know, a uh, it's an outdated term now, but a transvestite, right, is somebody who wears the clothes of the opposite sex or clothes assigned to the opposite gender. And for me, a vestite is somebody who just wears clothes. And that's always how I've thought of myself. You know, I never really thought of myself as, like, attempting to look one way or the other, but just wearing what I wanted to wear. And I don't know. I like it. I also think that it, it sounds really good with hentai. Like, hentai, vestite. Like, they almost, they don't rhyme, but they share the same vowel sounds. It, it, it's like a functioning, like, Pokemon evolution. Like, yeah. Hentai into vestite. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like it. I, I The funny thing, though, is that people will call me Vestite, or, like, I went to an event where they put me on the list as Vestite, which is fine, I don't care, but, like, it's not, like, a name, you know? It's just the name of the project, like, a band name. Like, you wouldn't yeah. call, like, uh... I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, oh, for example, like, Queen. Like, you wouldn't call, 
Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury queen. queen. But Freddie Mercury is also a stage name. You know what I mean? Um, Even though he was a queen. Yeah, he was. Yeah, you would call him queen. But <laughs> you, you know, but his, nobody would be like, hey, queen. Well, actually, you know what? A Maybe. Example, they might. Exactly. They might. They might. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but you know what I mean? It, it, it's just the name of the, the band or the yeah. project. I want to call it a band, but it's just me. So... Yeah, but hopefully, I really want to get some in- uh, some like live instruments going and like, like your song members. track names. Yeah. <laughs> so if there's any bassists out there or drummers out there who want to uh, be in a band, hit me up. Cause what, what's the preferred method of contact? <laughs> slide into my DMs <laughs> on Instagram, probably or Facebook or whatever. I mean, hentai vestite, you can find me. Awesome. Hit me up. Yeah. So, what are the things that you're looking forward to with your music and how everything plays out? I'm looking forward to doing more music with more hardware and less software. The first EP, Dark Signal, was uh, like almost all, no, uh, with the exception of Mindslave, everything was virtual, like virtual instruments, virtual drums, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with Modern Phenomena, it's about half and half. So I did a lot of the stuff with uh, my synths, hardware synths, and my uh, my like analog drum machine and stuff. And then some of it was virtual. And I think for the next thing, I want to do even more away from the computer because I really enjoy the hands-on and like being able to like touch and turn knobs rather than just click and uh, you know slide on the the trackpad or whatever is like. For me, as a artist who's coming from a visual and a performative medium into music, it's a lot more expressive. Like I can, I can, uh, like groove, you know. Whereas on the computer, that's a little bit harder. It's more like you're dancing with the music while it's being made. Right. Yeah. And you can, like, I don't know. You can get so many creative ideas by. You know, putting together one of the pieces of hardware that I have that I love is the it's the Arturia BeatStep Pro, and it's a it's a sequencer, so you can sequence up to melodic instruments and drums. But like the amount of creative possibilities at right at your hand, like you can you can do so much, and yeah, so a lot of the songs on on Modern Phenomenon the EP are done with that piece, specific piece of hardware. But for the next EP, I want to do a lot more uh, hardware and like recording the actual instruments themselves. Cause it also gives this like feeling of like warmth or like, I don't know, like when you listen to an old like Depeche Mode song and you hear those like synths with the little like crackles and and the like I don't know kind of hum in the background like I don't know they it it's it's something much more organic I don't think that's it's a good comforting word. yeah I don't know it just has a, a nice sound yeah it it what I like a lot about that kind of music in that kind of time period is that or at least the way that that time period is romanticized it's like a lot of that music is like very in the moment and it makes you feel like you're in the moment of like being in a sad cold apartment <laughs> or something, you know? Yeah, I think it's like kind of improvisational at times. Like you can hear them like, or you can kind of hear how the music is just sort of, it's like a jam session. It's like know. experimental. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what draws me to that kind of music too, is that 
like if it's new wavy i just feel like the way that new wave music is it's like all about like just pure experimentation and seeing what kind of weird shit that you can make mm. and it's like what the hell is there not to love about that mm. <laughs> i mean i would totally love to listen to just a shit ton of wacky sounds that i can't even describe because mm. it's, that's why it's i love electronic music yeah i mean like it uh when i was in college i had a boyfriend who did electronic music and i was do i still was making music at that time too but his music was like very like uh i don't know sort of like like uh I don't know, not Acid House, but like some sort, you know, like some sort of like uh, alternative dance music, and with a lot of like wacky sounds, like you said. And I remember being like trash pop. <laughs> I don't know about trash pop, <laughs> but some sort of like you know, like instrumental dance music that has like samples, but a lot of like really wacky, like acid. Oh, that's kind of, cool. It, it, it was, yeah. but I was listening to it at that time in my life, and I was like. Honestly, like, are you even making music, or are you just trying to make cool sounds? And and now it's so funny being a, you know, being an electronic musician and, like, trying to make those cool sounds. I have such an appreciation for it, but, but I always, I always want what I'm doing to have some infusion of, uh, pop and, uh, and melody and, you know, I, I don't think that I'll... Well, not, I, I can't confirm or deny, but I don't think that I'll ever just go to making, like, straight-up dance music, like, house music, or, like, you know, anything like that. It's not really my interest, but... Would you love. would you be down to give, giving shit to... Well, I mean, I guess, like, how Pinkstar did, where mm. it was just, like, if you want to make a fucking remix, go off. Mm. <laughs> oh, like, if I would put yeah. out my vocal stems out there and, and let some... Yeah, I, I actually thought about doing that, because I thought it would be cool to release some remixes for Cheer Captain, but... I just haven't done it, to be honest, but... Uh, oh, yeah, I actually want to do more remixes um, because I re- had a lot of fun doing that Pink Star remix because it was uh, really good. Thanks. I I really liked it. It, it kind of reminds me of like Metro Station is like super duper pop, you mm-hmm. know. But there is a little bit of grittiness in that um, Shake It song mm-hmm. at one point. I don't know. I think it's maybe just the introduction. <laughs> That doody 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 dee dee or whatever mm, the little arpeggio yeah sound. and it's like well that kind of like stuck to mm. a certain degree mm. and so um, it kind of just reminded me of that for some reason. going for like a I wanted it to sound like an 80s workout video like something that you would like that you could like work out to so more more specifically like the the bit that's in the choruses or the, the, the verses um, and then the choruses are more kind of like toned down and like dance uh, like chill and then there's the whenever uh, like I I threw her vocals through a vocoder and like pitched them down uh, and that's kind of like more to the build up but yeah I don't know I had fun with it um it's it's 
so much easier to do somebody else's music. I actually um, have talked to Pink Star about writing some songs for her and doing music with her. Because for me, it would be such a gift to not have to hear my own voice and not have to worry about, you know, oh, does this song really... Because I write a lot of songs and a lot of them I like. And like the demos, I still will listen to them, but I, I don't put them out because they don't really fit me, you know? And it doesn't make them not good songs. It just means, you know, maybe they're for somebody else. And what's really cool about that too is like how you said it can be a song for somebody else or for them it's almost like being the producer where it's like oh well I don't have to worry about this song representing me it's just a song that I sing right yeah yeah I think it's like it it it's unique to every artist and anyway I definitely want to do more stuff with other artists whether that be remixes or um, you know, co-writing or co-producing and doing things like that. Because, I don't know, I, I think it gives you a whole new perspective. Doing that, I did that Pink Star song in, in one day. I had a Saturday off, and I was like, oh, I'm going to, like, do this because she wanted a remix. And so I got out some of my stuff and, and did that, and it was a lot of fun. Well, whenever I said the Metro Station part, um, it's almost kind of like that except just the opposite. Like, if you took that, like, upbeat popness mm. of it. And just flip the switch the opposite direction. Yeah, it, all of those remixes are really good, actually. Mm. I added them all to the same playlist, and at first I was like, fuck, because, you know... You're going to hear the same song You're going to hear but it's a different song. It's a different song, yeah. Every, every time. Yeah, I like how every artist interpreted the song kind of in a different way, and it has a really, like, I don't know, it takes takes the one song and really kind of turns it on its head. There's the one that's just like a Nightcore remix of it, which is just like sped up. I, this is not a knock on, on the remixer or Pink Star or anything like that. I cannot stand Nightcore music and uh, Mr. Kitty loves it. Oh my God. Mr. Kitty will listen to, he watches YouTube videos sped up. Like he, everything for him is like fast. And the song, the the way it felt, the original demo I sent is like probably like ninety five beats per minute, and I think the like mix that he made is like, I actually don't know, but I it's somewhere between one twenty and one thirty. Like it's fast, <laughs> and I, it is a bitch to perform. And uh, but I mean, it's it's a great song, but it's just so funny. Like some people really like the pitched up and sped up music, but I've always been the slowed down. I mean, like doing drag, I always perform the songs that were slowed down. If you go to my SoundCloud, I have two long mixes of just slowed down songs that I like to listen to. So 
I I don't know. I can't. I don't like the fast stuff. It gives me anxiety. <laughs> what stuff are you looking forward to in February? February. So in February, um, this whole week is the release week of Cheer Captain. So I'm just gonna be trying to promote that as best I can and get it into as many ears as possible. The next week, I'm going to start promoting the pre-sales for, um, or the pre-saves, I guess now they call it, for um, Modern Phenomenon, which is the EP. So there's like there will be a link that anyone can click to pre-save it. That means like when it comes out, it'll just immediately go to your Spotify. Um, What's the date for that? The release? Yeah, or the um, pre-save. Or the pre-saves. Actually, I think you can do it now. I just need to share the link. But I'm just, like, focusing on the cheer captain stuff now. And then the week after that will be um, just uh, promoting the EP until it comes out. Um, and then on February 29th, it's leap year, um, on leap day, there's going to be a show on the east side called Bitchcraft, which is being put on by my friend Chris and my other friend Chris, um, who does who DJs as uh, Bitch Defer. Oh yeah, Brujo, Brujo and, and Bitch Defer. Yes, and so that's gonna be really fun. Bitchcraft. Look it up on Facebook. I would give you the address, but it's one of those that just says we'll have links. In warehouse. It. Yeah. So we're gonna. <laughs> Oh, yeah. is it is it at the same place? I don't know. So that's the thing is that I heard that uh, formerly known as Five Two Three Thompson. I heard that they have now changed the venue, and um, a woman I work with was actually telling me that across the street um, is where the new one is, but I don't know if that's... I, I honestly have no idea where it is, and I need to ask Chris. But yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be like a kind of underground warehouse party, queer, dance music, uh, live performances, and I think there's maybe two drag queens that'll be there. And the day before Bitchcraft is when the EP comes EP out. Comes so out. it's going to be like a kind of, I, I told Chris that and he was like, Oh, I'm going to promote it as a release party. And I was like, do it. So it's going to be like a little mini release party. Cause you are performing a song from it, right? Yeah. I'm going to perform the whole thing. Uh, I'm going to do the whole thing and, uh, some of the old songs. And then I like to do some covers. So it'll be really fun. That is going to be so fucking exciting. Yeah. You already know I'm going to be there living my fucking ass off and probably crying because Yay. Cheer Captain is the goddamn bomb. So it's... I can't wait to see you do that. I'm excited. I've had a fucking like cold and allergies for the past like two weeks. Everybody I'm... in Austin has. It's so bad. And I'm like, how the fuck am I going to sing? But it's finally getting better to the point where like, I think I could do it. I'm going to have to just get like an entire bottle of honey and just like bring it on stage with me in between, <laughs> between songs. I'll just eat honey. After Magical Realness, mm. um, the day before I did my ball with Tasha mm. and then at Magical Realness, you saw all of the fucking shit that I was doing there. Mm. So like, I was so physically exhausted. I think I had only gotten about three hours of sleep per mm. day for like four days in a row. And um, so like my immune system was just like, bye. <laughs> and you got sick. And I got sick. Mm. And so I got sick, but I also had like the physical recovery too mm-hmm. of all of that fucking voguing. Well, you heard me at Magical Realness. I was like... <laughs> I could, like, barely croak out, like, words. Like, I, I sounded like I had been smoking for, like, 70 years. It was yeah. bad. 
I was coughing. It was disgusting. So after all of that shit, I finally started getting better, and that's whenever I was able to finally finish that episode um, with Louisiana, mm. the one before, because I recorded it a while ago, but I was like, fuck. What <laughs> happened with Magical Realness? Because, like, I'm not being shady, but I feel like every, like, category or, like, every... Everything about the competition part of it seemed like rigged. <laughs> like that sounds really mean, and I don't. I'm not shitting on any performer because everybody did a really good job. And like I live for Belladonna. Like I oh, love. Yeah. I love her. Like I think she is like a baddie. She is like such a party girl, and she's got this like badass like energy about her. But like, and I guess like I mean, art is so subjective. Like everybody's gonna interpret it differently. But I was, like, legitimately shocked when Andy Flores, who got runner-up, I thought it was going to be the other way around, at least. Because Andy brought this, like, Mickey Mouse, like, bizarro world, like, surreal, like, thought experiment kind of shit going on that was, like, high energy and fun and and seemed very thoughtful to me. And, like, Belladonna's performance was very entertaining, always is, and very provocative and very, like... I mean, she looks cool. Like, she's a very cool person. But to me, it was just kind of like, I don't know how much, like, work really goes into that. Magical realness. Right! Yeah, it's magical realness. So it should be, like, there needs to be that element of, like, magic. And uh, and surrealism. And not maybe not surrealism, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it, magical realness as a genre is supposed to be, like... The kind of I don't know extension on reality and yeah I think um, in terms of like how that would correlate to her performance I do know that like the outfit or whatever so it was kind of like creating a character but I totally get what you mean like yeah. in terms of um, how it was performed and again I'm not shitting on anybody and I know uh, Belladonna is raising money now to do like some gender reaffirming surgery and I'm like girl get the money like she she needs sure. it and she deserves it uh, but I was just kind of gagged and I and I hope that Andy Flores knows that they killed it because that number was really cool <laughs> and um, oh and then yeah and then the voguing competition I'm sorry that was whack and I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna defend you because <laughs> I don't know who that girl is I don't know any of these I, I don't participate in the ball scene so I don't know any of these people, but they pulled you off stage because you touched the other girl, but she full on sat on you before that. <laughs> and that girl was the drag, or not the drag daughter, but the, uh, like, house, house daughter, or house sister. Or, yeah, house daughter. House daughter of the, of the woman who was uh, running the show. And I was like, okay, that's nepotism. Like, that girl sat on you. Like, she full-on sat it's, on you. It's okay, because I got it on video. Oh, yeah. I and, hope so. And um, technically, I did touch her, but she already she was already off the stage. Like, she had already fallen mm. at that point. Um, it's it, At first, I was kind of like, I didn't think that I pushed her, mm. but mm. she fell already, and then I touched her, mm. because I was like, bitch, you've, like... You're dirty. <laughs> yeah, because she but, had, had just done but, that. But it's okay because actually in voguing and stuff, 
um, whenever she said, like, no touching, that is a rule. Mm. And it's like, you know what? True. So, I mean, honestly, if I wanted to be such a dick about it, or Mm -hmm. not even a dick, if I really felt some kind of way about it, I could have just asked her to restart it. Mm -hmm. And then we would have gone. But actually, um, after looking through it, like, I, she was performing better. So it probably would have... Politely, I disagree. <laughs> I don't think that she... I didn't think... I, and again, I don't participate in the ball scene. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a voguer. My yeah. opinion means nothing. But I I did not live for her. <laughs> I, I thought that... Um, I thought that you did an amazing job. And I thought that... What's his name? Uh, I don't know. It but starts he, with a T, I think. He was amazing Mm. i really thought that i was gonna go against him at the Mm. end and i i wanted to get him too i was so confident that it was gonna be me and him at the end i wanted to get him and be like i can't wait to do this with you because it was gonna be so cool his name i know what it is it's um i don't know but shout out to him he was so beautiful he was he was wearing like a black or like kind of brownish shirt and like, like really skinny, agile, beautiful. Uh-huh. Beautiful. It starts with a T and I just can't think of it. Do you know someone who might even know who that was? Um Sam has a really good memory and he'll remember his name. But okay. so maybe we can post it in the ca- in the comments or something. Yeah, hopefully, because I want to give a shout out to him because that shit was awesome. Yeah. But also magical realness was really fun for me because like I said, I don't really perform in Austin that much. Mm. So like after that, I mean, not that it matters, but about a lot of people came up afterwards and were like, wow, like you killed mm. it. I was living for you. And it was like people I don't know. Yeah. That's so, exciting. so that's like different. And honestly, I was just doing it for fun mm-hmm. to try and get better because I've been trying to get better in uh, performing and stuff. <coughs> I, I just want to be such a good dancer that it's like whenever people are like, well, have you guys ever booked him? And then if they say no, it's like, why not? Why not, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to be the best at what you do. Um, I think Magical Realness was super fun, and I had a really like awesome time that night just being out because I don't, I don't go out as much as I used to and like getting to see people perform. Noodles did a really great job. We didn't talk about that at all, but Noodles did a really great job in her number. Do you ever like bump into people? I, mean, I guess it's not as frequent now, but mm. or maybe it is. I still hang out. I mean, like my my friend group hasn't changed. And like I was saying earlier, like there are some people who I've met through drag who have become like actual like friends, friends like uh, Rosalind Hustle is a really good friend. We're going to go see a movie. She's tonight. amazing. She won I the, she won the magical. Uh, yeah. Okay. That one was not rigged. She, I mean, maybe it was though, because honestly, like all the judges know her. So like, how can you, but that's part of it, I guess. I don't know. What do I know? But she, I mean, she deserved to win. She had, um, that cuckoo crazy body horror bodysuit on. I just remember I turned over and I heard the loudest noise ever from the crowd and I looked and she was like pulling a part of her costume and it mm. was like guts or some kind of there like... was like red uh uh red lights. Like they were like not like Christmas lights, but they were like string lights. Oh my and she gosh. was like pulling it out of I don't know if it was her eye or like her her stomach or something, but I mean like that's that deserved to win. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that like she she easily could win based on her clout and name alone. Like she deserved to win. 
Who were the other ones who won costumes? Um, Shayla for Dom Daddy. The, oh yes yeah oh my god that was amazing she probably should have won too yeah she uh she's gorgeous she's so gorgeous her breasts are like she looks like a doll yeah like she looks like um back when i lived in japan i used to go to the like anime manga stores and they have like these like sexy dolls or like sexy like figurines that like people collect and like that's what she looks like she's beautiful she is and it's awesome to like See her do her damn thing. Mm-hmm. And then, let's see, Shayla, and then there was one more category, right? The Folking one. That oh, but there was. wasn't another, um, was there only two of the walking? Yeah, it was just magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was those three. Everyone was, like, turned off by the MC, not Meatball, but the other MC, because she was, like, so, like, vocal and so, like, uh, assertive. But, like, I was, like, I think that's what it takes. Like, you have to be that on the mic. Like, you've got to be, like, like, there was a, oh, my God, it was really, there was a girl who walked up there to to participate in the uh, voguing, and she hadn't been called up there, and so she kind of, like. That was, that was actually shady. <laughs> it I'm, was. I'm probably going to cut some of this yeah, part, but. Cut out the parts that y- need to be cut. Yeah, but um, that was actually shady. She called up all of us who wanted Mm. to be in the performing category Mm. so we were all up there Mm. she had just like actually gotten on the stage at that point because her fucking shoes were so big Mm. and so like she was literally getting on stage you told them to get on stage and she did Mm. and also that's um Brujo's sister. Yeah, it's Honey, Honey Baby. Honey Baby. I know, and, and she's so sweet. And, and they we... literally booked her for, uh, like, the New Year's thing. Uh, so it's like, so how are you going to act like you don't, know you don't her. fucking know her and, like, that she's being ridiculous by getting up here whenever you called them? I think she was calling legends, or not legends, but, like, uh, people, like, who, like, it was before the performance and, like, she was calling up people who, like, like she said, I can't. I, again, I don't know anything about this, but it was like legends or like, uh, oh, statements, statements or something like people who like have done some sort of contribution or won something or we know them, and so I think when she walked up there, the MC was kind of like, oh, who is this girl? Like, you think just because you're like a pretty girl yeah. that you're gonna get up here and do it? I don't. And... I don't. I don't remember it being that part. I thought mm-hmm. it was for like about to perform or something like one of the things. I think that's maybe what Honey Baby thought she was doing and then the MC thought that she was coming up because she thought she was a legend or like or whatever you know a statement. Um, So that was cringe and I felt really bad for uh, I thought it was just like needlessly rude like I I don't think it was for statements, so I thought it was for the other part. So that's whenever I was like, um, she's literally like just flexing to flex. And like I said, you know who that is, or you should know. So either way, like if someone goes out on a limb to support you enough to be able to pay you for a gig, Mm. then maybe you shouldn't just spit in their face just because you had the chance to in front of everyone. Yeah, she was definitely being, like, super assertive and, like, shady. Uh, That wasn't the only time that it happened. Like, there were other girls who had performed. She's like, oh, you uh, you should come back next week. I'm doing a a class here. 
or yeah. something like that. And I'm like, you know, but but I think that's also kind of part of it. Like you want that kind of irreverent, rude, bitchy host on the mic to make it kind of fun. Yeah. And uh, also, I do think that um, the event itself, the organizers and the judges probably don't know anything about balls and ball culture. And I can imagine that for her as the MC, that's frustrating. Yeah, um, definitely. Because I've, me and her, we host balls differently. Like, she does it the way that it's supposed to be, like ballroom mm. all the way. But the thing is, Texas especially does not know that. We don't have, it's not we part don't, of our queer culture and history. So, yeah. And um, so a lot of people don't know, like, the rules of it. And that's why I threw them, like, how I threw them at Stonewall mm. with, like, kind of more organization. Because mm. that's what it takes whenever you're hosting a show in right. a club environment. It's an entire production right? through the whole thing. So, um... You kind of have to adapt it to the audience. Yeah. Too, because they're accustomed to seeing it a certain way. Yeah. And also, um, logistically, mm. it, it makes it so much easier to flow because whenever you do it with people who don't know, that's how you end up getting so much fuckery mm. to where you might end up having to call someone out for getting in the middle of the area where people are about to vote battle. Mm-hmm. Like... That's just... You need some structure because we don't have it, like, pre-installed. Exactly. People don't know what to do. The judges didn't know what to do. Like, they... I don't think that they are... I mean, like, a lot of those judges are my friends. And I don't think that they are familiar familiar with the the ballroom scene and, like, what type of thing. Because the host, the MC was like, like... Uh, if y'all like it, you gotta give her her tens. Like, if y'all aren't giving her tens, how do I know who won? Like, we yeah. want to shut this down. And yeah. she was getting frustrated because they weren't saying anything. So, you know, um, watch Pose. No, <laughs> but it, I, I can see why she would have been a little bit ornery because it is people who are not part of, like, I... I don't know her. I don't even uh, girl not girl six. Girl six. Yeah, girl girl nine. Girl six. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Her. I've never met her, but she seems like somebody who is working very hard to make something happen in a place where it's never happened before. And if I had gotten booked to MC an event that's a ballroom event by people who know nothing about ballroom events, then I would expect that like I'm gonna call the shots. Yeah. And maybe that wasn't the case, and so maybe that's why she was a little ornery. Yeah. Just, like, communication. Yeah. There. I mean, I've, like, had uh, similar experiences as a drag performer getting booked to host drag shows, and then the producers are telling me, or the, you know, the uh, the producers of the... Uh, Event. Uh, what do you call them? The booker, you know, like the... They're telling me, like, oh, well, uh, we need to do things this certain way or we're gonna have uh, all of the queens perform at this time or we're gonna do that I'm like no it's not gonna work and I'm like trying to explain to them like no why like why that's not gonna work um, so I get that it is frustrating when you're the you're the person who has the experience and knows what you're doing and you've got other people telling you how to do something or if they're telling you anything at all because they're on the end of a very large runway with no time to hand over scorecards or even if they even know how to score mm. or anything like that. Right. But, 
I mean, it was still a super duper fun event. It was so and it, fun, yeah. and it had so many different types of queer identity there too, which yep. was really. Awesome. And I, I like that Indra as a warehouse. I performed there before. I got invited to do an event there when I was still doing drag. And uh, that event that I performed at was not a queer event. It was, uh, I mean, it was weird as fuck. So in that in that sense, it was very queer. But <laughs> it, you know, it was, uh, it was the type of people who were there at the event were more like new age, yogi, um, crystals and sage and incense and all that yeah. stuff and I actually had a blast um, when I went there I can't remember the name of the event that I did but it was all about like channeling your inner magic and like showing people how how you do your magic which for me I'm like a fucking like cold-blooded atheist I'm like I don't have fucking magic but I like indulged and I had fun I did a number uh to the knife uh a song called Lasagna, and I had um, this, like, BDSM mask Lucille Ball look, and I had this, like, uh, thing of lasagna, and I, like, rubbed it all over my face, and they loved it! Oh, my God, they loved it. And they were tipping in, um, like, magical coins or something that night, and so, and then you got to, like, take all your magic coins and, and transfer them in for real money at the end of the night, but it was just, I mean, it was a little shot of the bazaar, but the best thing about it was is that, like, Everything was so, everybody there was so just like being themselves and like being freaks that like I felt fully comfortable walking around in my crazy BDSM Lucille Ball outfit and like lying down in the dressing room and like meditating like on my back. Like, and nobody said anything like, hey, are you okay? Like, they're like, oh, mm hmm. <laughs> like the the girl with the trash bag on her head, she's fine. <laughs> she's she's you, just meditating. You were just like fine to or free to like express yourself experimentally. Even yeah, like there was some weird shit that night too. Like spiritually, like what, like other performances? Yeah, or? other performances. I'm trying to remember some of the stuff I saw. Um, lo- uh, there was there was a really cool aerial act that they did, um, but there were a lot of like. Whenever I arrived there, uh, they there was a woman on the mic, and she was like, "Release your inner demons" or something like that. And other people were like, "I don't know. It probably wasn't release your it, no." It was, she was like, "She was like, release your inner heart song." That's what it was, heart song. And all the people that were like uh, on these like yoga mats were like, Aah. "Wow!" And I was like, "What did I end up in? This is so." crazy but then I realized like interacting with the people around me I'm like oh these are all like 20 30 somethings just looking for like spiritual, spiritual mindfulness wellness whatever yeah and the same in like identity and like a sense of belonging and and like that's the exact same way that our like queer circles are you know because, we just like, don't do we just don't all do yoga right we don't all do yoga and we don't all um, pray to the rose quartz or whatever but, <laughs> but you know like and, and I'm not knock, I'm not knocking it because um, t- oh, two whatever. of my very close friends are like new age like yeah. gurus my friend my best friend Blake you know Blake I think so um, he used to be my roommate he's uh, you, you know you know Blake uh, he goes on these uh, I'm gonna mispronounce it like Vipishna <laughs> it's totally wrong <laughs> He goes on these <laughs> retreats where he, they're silent retreats for like a week and they don't speak and they meditate and they focus and it's mindfulness. And I'm like, girl, if I didn't speak for a week and I had to sit alone with 
with just David up here, I would go insane. That's why I have Netflix. But more power to him for embracing the crazy because like, I mean, that is insane. Um, and he's like, like a guru, like he knows about all of this like stuff. And I think like, I don't know, I feel like that kind of new age or, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, spiritualism is like really popular with people our age because we're all looking for a sense of belonging, a way to find meaning um, in our sometimes meaningless and confusing world. And for some people, I think it really works. For me, I'm too cynical. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of actually have started indulging it a little bit more just because whenever I started doing yoga, like my mm. first episode, I talk about it. Um, whenever I started doing yoga, I it took me like three times of mm. like actually just trying to center myself. And it doesn't work every time. Mm. But it's more about like building a physical and like mental relationship with your body and mm. how you relate to it mm. and how you feel like it expresses your intentions mm. and like things that you want to manifest so my idea of a perfect fucking day is mm. going to Seoul mm. doing yoga in the sun getting mm. super duper hot and then swimming in the water with like my goggles on and looking at fishes yeah you are definitely Cheeto's daughter that, <laughs> is, that it sounds like something Cheetah does salute the sun and then go swim in the in the cool water of San Marcos River and then have sex with a heterosexual man. <laughs> a heterosexual <laughs> white man, probably. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> the read. Um, yeah. We have a joke with her. One time she was introducing Tequila Rose mm -hmm. on stage and a popular way she used to introduce her was this next performer is my daughter. She's named after my two favorite things. And I turned to Tasha and I was like, I didn't know we had a queen called White Guys and Dick. And then <laughs> White Guys I, Dick. Uh, Tasha was like, what? And she didn't get it. Mm. And then, like, I told that to Cheetah and she mm. fucking cackled so loud. I think that's like her favorite joke that I've ever made. That's a cheat. That's a, <laughs> it's like very in line with her sense of humor. <laughs> I like meditation and body scans when I make time to do them, mindfulness. I, I'm into that because I think that, like, for me, like, uh, it makes sense. Like, on a very, I don't know, uh, objective, physical plane of thinking, like, meditating just makes sense. Like, it makes sense to take a pause and to think. Um, the stuff where I start to get, like, what? Like when, you know, when we're involving like Eastern culture and Buddhism and stuff, but like in such an abstract and like uh, maybe misinformed way that it's almost it's callous. Yeah. And, it, and it's good because I think that there are a lot of nuggets of truth and wisdom in Buddhism, but like there's a level of appropriation that comes along with it too. I mean, you walk into one of those new age stores and it's like 99% like Asian culture. Yeah. Um, and like... I don't know. I think lack of a spirituality or the quest for spirituality shouldn't necessarily mean like misappropriating an, a whole culture, you know? Yeah. I think it's the misappropriation that's like probably the biggest deal about it because one thing that someone pointed out to me was like those crystals, 
Like, who do you think mines the crystals? Mm. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, no. And then you start thinking about some of the other stuff, too, like the sage and stuff like that. Like, I've heard, I don't know. It, to, like, some degree, it come to some degree, it's easy to say, like, there's no right step nowadays mm. because everything is such a mesh. At what point does, like, assimilation become whitewashing or you know the mm. there's so much duality in every single thing mm. that I, there is no like one answer except for the one of the culture being appropriated right it's just hard to um yeah i mean we're globalized now so like everything is exchanged and the, I, the internet is this like database of ideas and and uh, sometimes, like, we, uh, we do things and we make, and we, and we make choices based on things that we've ingested that we don't even understand. A really good example of this is, uh, like, a couple, uh, I don't know, weeks ago I was watching a little YouTube short 10-minute documentary about the history of the orchestral hit, which is, like, a sample that like you can hear in like 99% of the songs from the 80s and it was a sample from a classical piece and it was on this the Fairlight this uh, old synth computer workstation that a lot of famous musicians used back then anyway the orchestra hit it's like the and it's like in Vogue music for example um, that's like when people pose Like, you hear that sound, and it's like a kind of, like, dramatic yeah. orchestra. It's a mixture of, like, an orchestra, uh, maybe some percussion, an orchestral instrument, like a string, some and percussion, maybe strumming a at once. Yeah, and it's just like, and it's like, that. that's when people pose, you know? Yeah. And, and Vogue, it's in the song Vogue. Anyway. Um, oh, the one that's like, bam, bam. Have you listened to like it's in uh, it's in so many songs. I mean, um, we'll get a link to it. Yeah, I'll I'll put the link in the YouTube video. Anyway, but I, I was watching this and I knew about the orchestral hit because I learned about it from Joe. Um, and it's in from my first EP. It's in the song Dark Signal, and I put it in there. Uh, I made that sound myself because I knew I wanted it, and I didn't know why. I was like, I want this like dramatic, like posy sound that I've heard before, but I didn't have a name for it. I didn't know the history of it. I didn't know where it came from. And so it's in my music. And then now, fast forward a year later, I'm watching this documentary about like where this sound came from. And so like there, we've been exposed to and we've absorbed sounds, ideas, visions, phrases. And phrases. And we don't even know the history of where they came from. So at that point, it's not, there are, I think, things that people do, which we say is like, oh, that's cultural appropriation. And in reality, what it is, is somebody saw something and it, or absorbed something out of context and really liked it and it resonated with them. And now they're doing it without understanding where it came from. I always say that the difference between cultural appropriation and just like being inspired is the reaction to the knowledge learned. Mm. 
and if there's not an appreciation for it mm. it's more of like that person's relationship with the thing that they're appropriating mm. if they want to just like not even acknowledge it or mm. like you know salute it in the great sphere of creative inspiration mm. that flows around us then i think that's more in lines with appropriation because if after learning something you find out that you unintentionally you know misappropriated mm. a piece of someone's culture if you're like oh okay cool well still fuck those Asians, then it's like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) obviously not, because you're using that thing and it holds some weight in your life. Mm. Like, one thing that I couldn't ever understand, especially in Texas, is how there are so many people who are, they might not identify themselves as racist, but Mm. there's, like, racist tendencies, prejudices, Mm. things like that. But be in the parking lot of a high school... Mm whenever they're all getting out and how much rap music are you gonna hear right oh yeah for sure so it's like there's a certain point where a person's rebuke of the community Mm. that they're appropriating from and the disrespect that they still have towards that community regardless of that inspiration that's when I think it's like, well, yeah, you're definitely appropriating the fuck out of that. Yeah, yesterday, uh, last night, I met up with some friends that I had not seen in eight years. They were friends from high school, and um, my friend's girlfriend, uh, she, she didn't, I didn't go to high school with her, but she was talking about how back home, they live in D.C., there's a lot of drag shows in a gay community, and they and they want to go see them, but she feels uncomfortable because she feels like as a straight person or a mostly straight identifying person watching queer people perform, she felt like it's kind of like, uh, there's a power imbalance and it feels like you're, it's like a minstrel show, you know? And I, and I told her, I was like, well, one, we do want you there. Like we want as many people to come and, and support as part of the party. Right. So like, we do want you there, but I was like, what it really boils down to is like how you behave in a queer space um and like the respect and like that's really what it is and i think the same thing comes with you know appropriation versus appreciation is like is there a respect and also is there a credit because it's one thing to take an idea from another culture and completely divorce it from its history and where it comes from and it's another thing to borrow it but still paying respect to where it came from. For example, there is a, a band, I don't think that they make music anymore. Um, oh man, now as soon as I said it, I can't remember their name. What kind of culture it was it? So they're, they're uh, so it's a band, I'm pretty sure they're from uh, New York. They're all white people. Um, and they make oh. world music. Oh wow! Um, which is like world world music is like a genre which is or like world uh, some world beat some people call world mm-hmm. beat they borrow sounds from many different cultures and kind of fuse it into a song a sound that you hear it and you're like oh my god like this is like definitely not from Western culture yeah anyway they make world music but like they're all fluent speakers of uh, I think she's fluent speaker of Chinese and he speaks uh, I I. I I don't remember the full story, but like their music is in the languages that they are borrowing from. 
And to me, I see that as like not so much of an appropriation as much as it is an appreciation. I got in trouble. I got in quote unquote trouble in my modeling class. I was modeling with a female student mm. and I said, she looked so beautiful in it. Mm. I was like, you look like you created gender. Like, and so the professor, I think she was just being messy. She was mm. like, um, wouldn't you consider that a bad thing? And I was like, no, like just because something is a gender, you can celebrate a gender completely. Mm. There's a lot of celebration that you can have. And also to me, the celebration of gender is the celebration of gender as a spectrum, not a binary. Mm. And so I didn't take it as that connotation at all, but they tried to play like a whole battering game with me about like what I was saying and how I meant it. But it's very clear to me, at least, that like you can celebrate your otherness in whatever kind of form that your identity coincides with. Well, there's kind of an uh, an uh, evolving concept of gender, and I see it evolving even more with younger generations because I, I work with the younger generation in my in my day job, and so the older generation, and specifically like in feminist circles, viewed gender as a system of oppression. Yeah, like a vehicle of oppression. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's like it's you know it's something that you're subjected to. And I think in a lot of ways that's true. Like for their generation, like gender was a way to take power away from you. But for our generation where gender norms have relaxed quite a bit and, um, and we do, we are on the path to making things. And we're in a place of privilege too, where we can be around other people who do have that kind of freedom. And we have that freedom every day. Right. But for Mm. other folks and Back to that point, though, just because there are rules that we get attached to within our genders or perceived gender, that doesn't mean that there's no reason why we can't celebrate. I think that kind of makes it even more fun because it's rebelling against a power structure assigned to you that you didn't necessarily ask for to begin with. Right. And for our generation now, gender is all about the individual. I mean, it, your gender, gender can honestly be translated as just another word for identity now like because it, it at its core i mean that's what gender is i mean we have uh, maybe specific traits or clothing or ideas that are gendered like we say like you know men should wear pants women should wear skirts well that's kind of not the case anymore and so really what it is is just a bunch of arbitrary uh agreed upon principles by society that weren't really like thought of or even necessarily recognized for a long time right and things that pertain specifically to your sex and your ability to re you know procreate and reproduce but now that's changing and and gender is something that we can we can celebrate and also i think it's it's also important to note that like it's not just that they haven't been not recognized it's also been that at many points in times they've been sought out and like intentionally silenced or destroyed or destroyed Yeah. yeah which is like you know super fucked up because whenever um i mentioned the like gender thing um I was like, yeah, just because, like, American culture views gender that way. Like, there are other cultures, for sure, that have recognized intersex and non-binary people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reason why that didn't trickle down to us, it's not, like, 
an inconvenience or something. It's, like, definitely been written as, like, you know, what we picture the American dream to be in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. The the stuff in culture. And then that's that's why I said earlier we live in such a time where, like, all information is debated no matter what. Mm. Because the second that you start acknowledging other groups that haven't gotten any representation in telling their stories, all of a sudden you're pushing an agenda. Right. I, th I don't know. I have hang-ups about gender. Like, I I think uh, in, some, in some ways I resent our generation's fascination with gender because I don't think that it really is... I, I think that we're fascinated with identity and identifying ourselves, and I don't think that we have to do that through gender. I don't think that the solution to gen gender inequity and gender, you know, uh, binaries and, and, you know, binary ways of thinking, I don't think that the solution is to necessarily expand it into a spectrum, but to rather just accept that gender is not a... Uh, a logical or reasonable or even functional way of identifying a person um, but of course you know it doesn't always work that way because some people do really they get euphoria in expressing themselves in a gender sometimes a, a binary gender like male or female or man or woman and so for some people I, I totally respect and uh, encourage them to celebrate it but I do wish that we wouldn't we wouldn't emphasize the importance of nailing down one, this is your gender. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because for the younger generation, I would like for them to come into a world where, for them, gender is more of a playground. And I think that's how it is going to be. Like, interacting with young, like, transgender people versus the older generation, you can really see how the older generation really clings to the binary and the importance of passing and the importance of, you know, becoming right the opposite quote-unquote opposite gender whereas when you interact with uh the younger generation i mean it really is kind of like a it's almost like a joke for them like they identify the way that they want to identify but like i have like trans friends that will like post very irreverent posts about their experience with being trans or like talk openly about their genitals or talk you know talk about uh you know, what a joke it all is. And so I feel like the trans experience now for our generation, for the older generation, is like night and day. And we butt heads all the time. Like, the older transgender people will post online about saying, like, oh, well, non-binary isn't trans. Or, like, if you're you're either a boy or a girl, you're not wearing... If you're, and if you haven't gotten this done, you know, there's trans uh, gender essentialism or uh, yeah. biological essentialism. But the younger generation is the opposite, and we get mad at the trans, older trans people because they see su such a black and white image. We have to find somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Say what you want, but Kelly Klein is actually, I think, a really essential person in that, in solving that issue because she is part of the like older generation, but she makes it a point to like learn about what's going on now with trans people now because i remember i don't she and i don't really talk very much anymore because we don't exist in the same circles but she was telling me that she was going to classes learning about non-binary and they them and things like that and That's like awesome. I, I think like it's gonna take that because a more inclusive world is just you know what's the downside of that 
I, yeah, couldn't agree more. There is really, like, no downside. There's no downside to letting people comfortably express and be who they want to be. I think everybody in our society is stands to benefit from a society where people feel comfortable to express themselves. It's just whenever the people who are shitty end up getting assigned power. Oh, yeah, people then... in power, it won't benefit. Yeah. So, back to... The things that you're excited for, do you have anything? We talked about February. Let's do a quick recap of that. So Cheer Captain is out now. You can stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, all the streaming things. Um, Modern Phenomenon, the new EP, will be dropping on February 28th. um, And it will also be on all streaming platforms. On February 29th, I have a show um, for Bitchcraft, which is being put on by Ruho and Bitch Defer. Um, you can find more information about that on Facebook if you search Bitchcraft, B-I-T-C-H-C-R-A-F-T. And in March, South by Southwest is happening, and I should have a couple of um, gigs coming up for that too, but I don't have details, so. <laughs> if the details come out between now and then, we'll make they sure likely to will. include them in the show notes. Thank you so much, Hentai. This was super duper fun, and it's an honor to have one of my biggest inspirations on my podcast. Well, thank you for having me, and I really enjoyed it. You know, I'm a chatty Cathy. I like to talk, and I like to get existential. pretty fucking baller hentai is amazing to talk to and honestly whenever i met up with them i was super duper insecure because whenever you know you're around someone who is a creative genius and i'm not fucking around like if you see one of these performances or listen to the music like they said they're self-taught in everything that they've done for the most part so whenever you're around someone who knows their shit like that I don't know sometimes it's amazing to me that like these motherfuckers are so smart that they can even speak like I'm, I'm surprised that whenever hentai speaks it's not just computer code coming out or something but that's my sister that's my drag sister and I fucking love the shit out of them so being able to sit in their apartment and use up so much of their time was a complete fucking blessing. Hentai, if you're listening to this, I love the shit out of you. Thank you for the opportunity to spread your art with the world. It makes me so happy and I love you so much. You can also see Hentai's Instagram. That's at Vestite Music. If you type in Vestite Music in Google, a lot of their shit will pull up. That pretty much wraps up everything with this episode. If you liked it, if there's something that made you smile, think, or laugh, feel free to shoot me a text. I am probably not going to receive it immediately, and you'll hear why in the next episode. But just know that it will be appreciated. I love you guys so much. Don't forget to stream Modern Phenomenon. Don't forget to check out gregjgray.com especially for more info on this episode, as well as the bonus clip information that's mentioned as well. There's going to be the songs that we used and video of her past drag performances in the show notes and on the website. So 
be sure to check all that shit out. I love you guys so much. Show me love. Grego Show now has a Twitter handle too. It's Grego Show Pod on Twitter. That's G R E G G O Show Pod. That is also going to be in the show notes. If you don't know how to use the show notes, I don't fucking blame you. Let's go over it together right now just so that way I can make sure I know what the fuck I'm talking about. So, what you do is you go to podcasts. This is on Spotify that I'm talking about. You go over to podcasts, then you go to whatever the episode is that you're listening to, and then there's some dots at the top, and all the shit comes out, and I'm pretty sure if there's links in there, you just press a button and it takes you to it. What a fucking phenomenal life we're living in, right? Doesn't that just make you want to shit cornbread? You want to shit bricks? Make a ship brick house. Put it on some illegal land so that way you don't get taxed. And then the government repossesses your ship brick house. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm, I'm hot as fuck in my car right now. We're done. I love you guys. Bye. <laughs> Touch me, my body